The year is 1987 AD, after dawn. The world now looks much different than it did when the empire of ancient Akers collapsed nearly 2,000 years ago. An age of darkness, the midnight millennium, came to a screeching halt when the dawn broke. The Gospel of the Risers claims a band of valiant saints laid low a fell tyrant and returned the sun to an ever-dark sky. Secular historians claim only the untimely death of a hateful monarch. The shift, regardless, was sudden and chaotic. The terrors that fueled the Empire's technology disappeared overnight, and its greatest marvels became defunct just as quickly. The peoples who suffered under the Empire's yoke rose up in unified rebellion. For some, the break of dawn was a glorious rebirth in fire. For others, it was the pained, dying gasps of a world on the brink of oblivion. There's truth in each perspective. It's only a resurrection when the dead are made to live anew. So, we lived. In the morning's gentle light, we found new ways forward, new frontiers, new technologies. As once gray lands became green again, so too did civilization retake a world once thought lost. In these sun-blessed days, we built the future of Eden, and in the sapphire moonlight cast by Rose and Azure, we slept soundly unafraid of what blades may hide in the dark. That which we most fear, however, needn't hide at all. The dark tapestry of Eden's history is marred by the glowing embers of war, bright and scattered and inextricably linked like grim constellations. In low orbit, where cities and fortresses hang in the silence of empty space, daylight offers no reprieve from the void's glimmering menace. For nearly 120 years, the greatest powers of Eden have danced in this starlight. The carnation crown of Grand Tycon and the best interests of United Akers battle tirelessly for dominion over the world. Adverse global service provision profits tidily from stoking the flames of their hostility, while the pirate cartel, Dragon Teeth, has grown fat and mighty from its feast of ashes. All the while, the ever-sanctimonious solar auspice of Rosanazar has taken up the endeavor of shepherding the world's faithful, turning its holy might against all it would call wolves. They would never call this, the territorial disputes, the acts of conquest, the violent reprisals, the single-minded bloodletting, a war. But none can confuse the sanguine blooms or prickling thorns of the Rose Garden for anything but. Ours is a war by any other name. Hello. And welcome to Big Gay Nerds Play Beam Saber. <laughs> I am your GM, Saturn. Uh, they, them pronouns. You can find me at Celestial Mecca on Twitter, uh, where recently my subscription for Final Fantasy XIV has run out, so I've stopped playing it for the moment. Uh, joining me in this endeavor are a few familiar faces, and we're going to go in Discord naming order here. Let's start with Fern. Hey, it's Fern. Um, I use they he pronouns, and I am really excited to be embarking on this. Levi. Hello, I am Levi, they, them pronouns. Um, yeah, uh, this has been very exciting, uh, having this coming up. Sarah. 
Hi, I'm Sarah, she, her. You can find me at Radio and Activity on Twitter. I also co-host another podcast with my best friend called The Gorge, and I am massively excited to be doing this. I did a little hand spasm when you said Blades in the Dark uh, in the end. <laughs> <laughs> and last, but certainly not least, Owen. Hey, it's Owen. Why did I choose to do this voice? <laughs> oh, yeah. you know that. Oh, no, the transformation's begun. <laughs> oh, no. Hey, uh, Mom always told you if you kept doing that voice, you'd get stuck Stand like that. <laughs> I've got he, him pronouns. I am the founder and editor of Big Gay Nerds. And I'm also really jazzed to be here, especially because I think that I knew that this was going to happen before anyone else besides Saturn, so... You did! Uh, <laughs> for part of the uh, setup to this, I think I might have said as much uh, finishing Blades in the Dark, uh, but I was really excited to take some time off of GMing, and then I found out <laughs> the itch was coming back uh, a lot faster and a lot harder than I thought it would. Um, and to, uh, you know, speak true to inspirations, uh, I had decided finally to uh, start catching back up with uh, the podcast Friends at the Table, which is uh, GM'd by Austin Walker and run by a bunch of people whose names I am not going to uh, regale you all with, uh, because... Uh, his that podcast has been an inspiration for me going thing and i was like okay cool now that i'm done with blades i can feel embarrassed of my uh gm ability and enjoy the show uh the first thing i found out not as embarrassed as i expecting to be i'm realizing i've gotten better at this for having done it uh but the second thing i found out is that beam saber cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is a very cool game um for just the very low level of it is that it's a mech combat game based on Gundam, uh, especially, but then, you know, other mech things as well, uh, that runs in the Forged in the Dark engine, which is the, which is derived from Blades in the Dark, as you might expect. Uh, so it uses a lot of those similar style of mechanics and the similar flow of action. Um, and certain things are, you know, imported pretty directly, but there are some, like, major changes to it that are really interesting so like the big thing is obviously you have mechs and like on your character sheet there's stuff about mechs and the things you do in mechs but also uh it has some interesting different ways it handles uh crew interactions and how our players will be interacting with each other in downtime especially uh has some interesting stuff about uh the development of bonds uh, the way you pursue goals, it's not just about getting money, it's actually about working towards your ambitions and things like that. And these changes, a lot of them, are kind of the places that I was most kind of dissatisfied with Blades and Dark uh, rules as written, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. And so, okay. uh, since we haven't really done a full sci-fi thing, like aside from the occasional one-off, uh, seemed like as good a place as any to start. <laughs> I'm so yeah. excited. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> giant robots are cool. Giant Robot robots cool. Are, are cool as fuck. Um, so yeah, I, I once oh. saw this cool robot, and it was shooting some words over me at kind of like a 90-degree angle. You could not read what they were, <laughs> but the robot <laughs> cool as hell. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure the words were something like, look at this cool shit. Definitely. And that's, what, that's what I thought, looking at the robot. Yeah. Um, 
So I'm gonna be we're gonna be doing this episode in like three well two and a half parts really no idea how long this episode's going to be so it's Woo. gonna be a, you look you at home looking at the timestamp on your uh, podcatcher or whatever the <laughs> fuck uh, you're welcome <laughs> um so the first thing we're gonna start with as a group is we're gonna go over character generation yeah. and um. We're going to do this slightly differently than the way we wrote it in the book, just because, uh, you know, for preparing for the podcast, what we kind of did is talked about the concepts that we want to work with and did some, like, of the less interesting, like, statting process and things like that. And we're going to go over, like, our steps, but we're not going to do this in, like, the literal order it's written in the book. I've kind of uh, chopped and screwed the order a bit for just what's going to be good for radio, I think. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, um, going to do this in reverse Discord order, oh. uh, going down, uh, just because it's kind of matches the order I want to go in anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to very first go over the, uh, step one, the playbook, name, pronouns, and look of your characters. So, what you're playing, who you are, what you go by, what you look like, that kind of deal. So, let's start with Owen. Tell us about your character a little bit. Okay, so, um, my character is, uh, Captain Pfeffer Humboldt, that's, uh, Pfeffer with a P and Humboldt with a D, um, (laughs) his look is that, um, uh, what I have right here is just he is a tall, fat man with gray skin and a tentacle beard, um, yeah, yeah. Because, (laughs) as you might have picked up from the narration, we're playing in, like, a future version of the Blades in the Dark setting. A far future, mildly uh, post-apocalyptic, a strange uh, setting that just seemed uh, too fun not to work with. So (laughs) you're you're playing uh, what we would have called in Blades of the Dark a Tykerosi. We're calling here a Tykin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, a uh, humanoid with animal features, in your case, a uh, gray squid man. Right. I was uh, kind and... of inspired by that, like, noble woman from our first, from our, yeah. from our last thing. Mm. Yeah. Like so what uh, playbook are you playing, last but not least? Okay. I am playing the officer. That is, um, actually, let me just get the description of that from the actual book for ease. A tactical and personable trooper. Any conflict is chaos, whether it's an explosion-filled battlefield or posturing for status in a masquerade. Except it's not really chaos, not if you know how to look. Lines of attack and defense, routes for flanking and defeat, sorry, retreat, all exist no matter the arena. There's a way around, though. There's a way around, through, or over if you're properly prepared. An officer always has a plan. So, Very yeah. nice. The officer uh, is kind of the this system's equivalent of the, I believe, the spider playbook mm. from uh, Blades in the Dark. There's a lot of stuff about, you know, leading your team, uh, having backup plans prepared, uh, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, very similar kind of role there. Um, next in this uh, litany, we're going to go with Sarah. Tell us uh, your character's name, pronouns, look, and what playbook you're rolling with. Um, well, the character's name is Arabella Steranacht. Um She, her pronouns, and her look is a tall redhead with scars, a cybernetic arm, and a mysterious smile. Um, and she... Her role is the ace, and I like 
Owen's route of reading the actual description of the character, so I'm going to do that too. Uh, the ace is a graceful and daring pilot. The battlefields of the war stretch across cities, continents, and star systems. Such distances are not easily traversed on foot, becoming full of incredible machines that stride, soar, and roam through them. A vehicle is what most of them see them as, just a tool. But for aces, they're a better half. Created with purity of purpose and a desire to be filled, the vehicles in the war are a light for people looking to join in that purity and desire. Yeah, so uh, the Ace Playbook is kind of... uh, Sarah, I remember you being very excited to find it because uh, you played (laughs) Arden as kind of... It's literally... Uh, it's like somebody reached into my dreams and made a playbook specifically for me. <laughs> you, you played Arden as kind of this cocksure daredevil with, who had a tendency to uh, just do sick shit and kill really stylishly like you're in a fucking John Woo movie. And they were like, well, what if you were if the playbook was just that and you weren't like adapting it? That's just what the playbook was. That's just what the playbook demands. So, That's literally what the ace is. Oh my god. Yeah, I don't know, because I, I don't have Blade, the Blades book open, so I'm not mm-hmm. checking or anything. Uh, I don't know if this has a Blades equivalent, but this is very much supposed to be, there's literally a move on the sheet called Red Comet. This is for, this is for Char Aznabel. Yeah. <laughs> this is the, uh, the legendary pilot kind of, mm-hmm. kind of deal happening here. I was trying uh, to figure out. I think it's kind of cobbled together from parts of the lurk and the cutter. That's yeah. my take. Yeah, that makes sense because there's a lot of things on here that you know interface specifically with the mech mechanics, which Blades and Dark obviously does not have, or at least not as written. I don't know. Maybe your game does, and you did some <laughs> uh, complicated rules with it. Uh, I'm not your mom. Uh, so uh, with that done, let's move to Levi. Tell us your characters' names, pronouns, look, and playbook. Okay, so uh, we were told to make um, Gundam names for our characters, and the only Gundam I've ever watched more than one episode of is G Gundam. However, I have picked up a sort of the idea. So what I came up with is Gabrielle Asmodeus. So good. <laughs> I love her name. Immaculate. Uh, pronoun Perfect. she, her. The look is uh, beautiful face, trustworthy eyes, flowing hair, voluptuous body, and a formal outfit. Damn. Yes. Yeah, I remember uh, her, her being described as being kind of based on some vague combination of Fujiko Mine from Lupin the Third and Rouge the Bat from Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> yeah. Bravo. yeah which, is, which is just like big brain shit. You, you love yeah. to see it. Also, if you've, if you've uh, seen or read Assassination Classroom, some like Miss Yelovich. Mm. I have not read, read or seen Assassination Classroom. Oh, it's dope. But I'm sh- I am sure there are some nerds in our audience who have. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so. I'm, I'm, and I'm went, just fucking with y'all. I love yeah. anime. Don't, don't kill me. <laughs> and I went with The Envoy, a stylish and persuasive socialite. Whose description yes. is the difference between a diplomat and a spy is the quality of intelligence they bring to their superiors. Ceasefires, alliances, and treaties don't last long in the capital W war. And the clever will make most of that reprieve by preparing for when it fails. The best use of that time is to employ an envoy, skillfully negotiating celebrations, deals, and deceptions of politics to pull up the most of such opportunities. They bring intel home with a smile and a handshake. When are you truthful in a meaningful way? What relationships do you have that aren't a means to an end? Oh. So this is so. very much like the slide 
Uh, except, yes. although, now I'm looking now, um, I can also take trance powder, so I wound up with that on my <laughs> list again. <laughs> yeah, I was going Completely to say... Completely unintentionally. The, env- the Envoy is very much based on what uh, Ira's playbook from Blades mm-hmm. of yeah. Dark was. It's, it's got Rook's Gambit, uh, word for word. It's got Rook's Gambit, it's got, like, <laughs> looking into a mirror, which uh, Ira made great use of in that last heist. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. got uh, a little something on the side, etc., etc. So it's it's pretty much directly that style of playbook. And I'm speaking excited. of Ira, last but not least, Fern. It's Tell me. us your character's name, uh, pronouns, look, and what class you're playing. Well, we'll real play quick, book. I need to also mention that Gabrielle has shark stripes oh, yeah. and oh, shark yes. teeth, which is really oh, yes, important. Yes, yes. yes uh, Gabrielle <laughs> <Absolutely Asmodee vital. laughs> is a, a Tycan. Um, yeah, she's, she's got also tiger taken... shark stripes, yeah. uh, black eyes, and lots and lots of sharp teeth. Although she yeah. generally is doing demur little smiles Hell, so that yeah. you don't Hell, get yeah. intimidated. Yeah. So... Say she probably I think we, we she probably looks a little more humanoid than someone like Pfeffer does, just because yeah. like, the type ty- for Tykins, like the degree to which you express the animal features over the human features is kind of a grab bag. She doesn't have like a uh, giant shark tail, so Yeah, it, it's whatever you want. You can that 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 furriness dial goes between like fifteen <laughs> to eighty five percent. So uh, <laughs> It's that one. It's Everything but Max Sliders. It's that, it, it's that drill tweet, like me turning a big knob that says furry and turning back to the audience and looking for approval. <laughs> it's so good. I'm so excited for Gabrielle. So. Uh, yeah, tell, tell us about your character. Okay, so my character's name is Giuseppe Finch. Uh, his pronouns are he, him. He is a trans man. Uh, he is also a blonde half-elf with expressive ears and bright brown eyes, and also a twonk. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, you heard that right, a half-elf. A half-elf. There's some differences in our version of this setting from what is as written in uh, the prior (laughs) games book, and... I think it will be more fun if you just discover those as we go along. <laughs> he has like I I just I just needed the pointy ears because he has like seven ear piercings. Oh, um, oh, no, just needed ear space. Yeah, important. And his ears are wiggly, like mm, with yes. with emotions, like emotionally wiggly. You know. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, it's, it's and... good that you mentioned that they're emotionally wiggly because you should tell us about your playbook. <laughs> no, only fluff, no mechanics. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the playbook that Giuseppe is on is an empath, uh, an empathetic and compassionate psychic. I pulled up the book and now I've lost it. There it is. Okay, I found it. You're good. Um, so when someone looks at you, they aren't seeing you. When they hear you, they don't listen. They touch, but don't feel. The pressures of population density and society play a joke on the heart. But people are changing, not the person you look at, hear, and touch. Someone else. Something else. Evolution is making something to help bring people closer together, beyond just population density. And these new types of people are empaths. So uh-huh. I'm playing new types of people, new types. It's a Gundam concept where as... Uh, population starts to go into space 
that evolution makes up for the distance by giving us psychic abilities uh, so that we can we can actually connect to each other even though we have vast distances between each other and so that's what I am playing uh, an empath who is like just a psychic cool person yeah aside from being uh (laughs) you know and and you know the new the gundam new type uh mm-hmm. concept i believe this is a kind of it's it's kind of based off of thalia's playbook it's kind of uh the sh- not the shade uh what was her playbook again uh, i forgot uh it's not whisper. important yes the thank whisper. you i was there so used to go. calling her the shade as well i just totally forgot <laughs> the the empath is kind of uh attuned to the more magical aspects of the setting and, uh, which I will note, uh, are, we might, there will be some slight, like, flavor differences just because we're rolling with kind of a more, uh, setting where magic is real instead of just one where, like, there's ad- hyper advanced AR or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, magic's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. And so that's everyone's, like, basic, uh, character concepts. So for the second step, and this one will, also take a little bit while we're going to go over uh the history tragedy and opening of yes. these characters yes. uh in broad <sighs> strokes you don't have to get too too detailed just because i'm sure there will be other ways for some of the stuff you have shared with me beforehand to come up um but basically what this is is who your character was before the war stole from you how you've experienced the costs of war and what came between uh, that cost and you joining the squad. Uh, so I will continue from the top of the order. Owen, give us your history, tragedy, and opening in brief. Okay, so uh, Pfeffer came from a, uh, just a, rel- like, sort of a minor noble military family. Um, and so he... It wasn't just, like, born into a position in the Navy, but, you know, he had a pretty clear shot at it from the start. And so he got the title of captain, and he spent a while just, like, um, in kind of a cozy position doing, like, border patrols with a small detachment. Um, And this is your history, and now the tragedy is going on. Right. The tragedy is that one day... uh, his patrol encountered some pirates and you know just on account of how protocol functioned he fired off a warning shot and the pirates then turned around and decimated his whole detachment leaving him the only survivor Mm -hmm. because they had an experimental Mm -hmm. weapon on board that they did not know about and Mm -hmm. as a result um uh, they they couldn't, as a result, because he was just, like, sort of following the rules, they couldn't, like, demote him or anything, but he did lose his post and get kicked into a, uh, a position of lower standing, which is, uh, this group. Um, yeah, they, they, they wouldn't yay. call it a probationary assignment, but you've been in the, in the uh, military long enough to know what a probationary assignment actually is. Yeah, <laughs> so. exactly. So, um, and then comes your opening. Yeah, the opening is that uh, basically up until they act between the tragedy and him winding up with the other player characters, he was just kind of like moping around the family estate. Um, <laughs> we've ass- and 
Yeah. And as, and we will, um, I believe we're planning for Patreon to kind to do an episode where we actually go and do a full, like, RP for all these openings and kind of how the group comes together, I think is the plan. Yeah. Oh, uh, haven't okay. recorded it yet, but keep an eye out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so next up, we're going to go with Arabella. Uh, tell us your, uh, history, tragedy, and opening. Um... Well, I did something a little different, and I decided mm-hmm. to put my life in Saturn's hands like a fool. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> because the, uh... Now, I'm looking at your history. <laughs> uh, do you want to just read me the what you have in your history verbatim? Unknown. Um... Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so your entire so life. <laughs> so it's so your, your entire history is is appropriately a mystery. It's a huge mystery. A mystery of history. Yeah. Uh, so we get to skip directly to your tragedy. Yeah. Arabella's tragedy is that she woke up uh, in the middle of nowhere, basically like on some uh, at some border. Uh, I think we. I think you had said before in the middle of kind of a recent war zone yes. of some kind. Um, and woke up basically half dead. In the middle of nowhere, missing an arm, uh, with her face fucked up with a scar, um, with no idea of who she was or how she got there. Um, yeah, Arabella is a, is an actual for real amnesiac, which is like a thing that is overdone in a lot of media, but I think is extremely cool <laughs> in a tabletop game because I'm basically saying <laughs> my GM gets to write my backstory. Oh, hey. yeah. Um, hey, as, hey as I think someone... it's the first time we've done it on this podcast. It is. So I believe they can't you're right. say we've overdone it. <laughs> I, I, say, I will say it's, uh, it's very, it's fun enough in tabletop settings that the most recent, uh, major expansion for Pathfinder 2 added an amnesiac background Hell yeah. where the idea is uh, you don't get any starting skills or like starting feats mm-hmm. but you get your two uh, ability score increases that you pick and then your GM picks a third one no. And then <laughs> yes. that that will that bullet will shoot you later. Okay, uh, it's it's a fun trope. Uh, we'll we'll y'all will uh, we'll see how how that evolves and what comes of that. Yep. Uh, so after you woke up half dead in the middle of nowhere, we get kind of to your opening. So if you want to tell us about that, yeah. So after she uh, woke up, she kind of staggered her way to the nearest town or basically to the nearest road and then just collapsed and some guys in a truck like found her and took her to this um like border mining town just kind of like a backwoods nowhere place some shithole yeah uh not to be de- not to be demeaning but like, ab- no some but absolutely <laughs> some some middle of nowhere shithole uh and they they fitted her with a probably a really janky prosthetic arm and uh, she didn't have anywhere else to go, so she stuck around there and tended bar. Uh, for quite a long time. For a while. Kind of went off on, like, weird trips around the country. Realized she was in, uh, she was in, what's the name of the country exactly? Uh, it's Ty- just called Grand Tycon, Di- Grand Tycon. Okay, I wanted to make sure. I it's didn't kind want to of like a, it, there's probably a, uh, a delineations for it that sure. I just haven't gotten into, but it's like, okay. it's a Great Britain situation right. where, like, there's, like, you know, a handful of actual distinct, distinct countries in there, mm-hmm. but the collective of it is Grand Tycon. Yeah. So she woke up in Grand Tycon, she realized eventually, uh, and, but just decided to kind of stick around for many multiple years in this little town, because, like, 
where else is she going to go? And the rent was really cheap. <laughs> Until one day. Until one day, um, a another border skirmish brought a an experimental royal blue um, mech crashing down basically into the town. And for some reason, um, Bella knows how to pilot this thing. Probably better <laughs> than anybody on Earth. Or so, Eden, yeah. I suppose. And Sarah, have and... you ever played Xenogears? No, I've never played Xenogears. Oh. <laughs> That's dope. That's really good. I like that. Uh, I would like that... to, though. You know, Levi, I hadn't pieced that together. Thank you. <laughs> oh, no I haven't thought about Xenogears in uh, a few years. Uh, I might need to actually finally go play yeah, that. Oh, dude, do yeah, my... play Xenogears. I want to see a mech I... named God, like, show up and just, like, be honest. <laughs> yeah. Just be like, hmm, you, you sure do you know you how like to pilot when, that mech. If you like when anime characters are crucified... <laughs> Boy, if I do I. ...in Neon Genesis Evangelion-esque uh, Judeo-Christian symbolism. Uh, anyway, yeah, so you were doing that, and then you were found by the people who owned the mech. Yes. And then, uh, instead of being thrown in jail or being killed or whatever else, mm-hmm. uh, you were conscripted. Absolutely. To be the new pilot for this, uh, strange prototype that you have such an affinity with. Which we'll get to. Yeah. So that, that'll happen. Uh, next up, uh, Levi, uh, tell us about, uh, Gabrielle's, uh, history, tragedy, and opening. Uh, well, the history and the tragedy are sort of tied together into like one blend because her history is that she was a war orphan who became a child soldier for adverse uh, yes and, and we'll talk more about the factions when we get to like yeah. squad generation stuff but basically, so, yeah. basically ad- adverse is a uh, corporate evil uh, capitalism that, bad. Kind of, that, that kind of shit <laughs> yeah uh basically someone found her after her family uh was killed in a, a battle of a proxy war between um what is it? Acres and and Tycon. Uh, Tycon, that's right. And then uh, someone as scrupulous found her. Was like, "Hey, do you want revenge and money?" And she was like, "Yes." It's like, "Cool, you're small. You can fit in a suitcase." <laughs> oh God, that's so oh, Jesus. Oh, no. Jesus, God. So uh, she uh, had a talent for uh, killing people while they weren't looking, and she turned that into a career for a little while. Yeah, and you. Uh briefly uh for, well not briefly actually for a good number of years of your life uh and this is part of your opening uh worked for a different mech squad in a different faction than the one you currently are aligned with now yeah so when you were we were talking about the the history and opening and you recommended something in the setting called aces high which is a tycon it uh, is actually an adverse, adverse. Uh, squad oh okay uh, and what Ace's High is, is that, uh, you know, uh, the whole high school from NGE and, like, Shinji getting the robot mm-hmm. and, like, the idea that these high schoolers are basically a groomed selection of potential mm-hmm. pilots? Mm-hmm. Uh, Ace's High is, what if you strip the mask off that and it's just your high school is piloting a mech and doing war crimes? Oh. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Gabriel spent, uh, what was it? What did you say? Like, 15 to 20? something like that or 13 to 18 something in that area yeah uh piloting for them and then eventually left that yeah Uh, she was able to uh sort of like take out uh whatever you call a mortgage on a mech in this setting 
I guess like a mech loan, like a car loan. So she, when she graduated, she had mostly paid that off. Uh, so that's how she sort of struck out. Yeah, and then you she's, she's very mercenary. Basically, is the thing. Yeah, and then eventually enlisted in the uh, in the faction and squad that the rest of the that the rest of the players are going to be a part of. So that's fun. Last but certainly not least, uh, I say maybe slightly less uh, child soldier uh, grimness. Uh, I don't know really. Uh, uh, Fern, tell us about Giuseppe's history, tragedy, and opening. Okay, so Giuseppe, uh, Giuseppe's history is that um, he actually used to work for the church, which is the Solarosa. Uh, or I, I referred what... to them in the opening uh, for listeners as the Solar Auspice of Rose yeah. and Azure, but in slang, we they're just called Solarosa. Yeah, and so he was a psionic cadet for them. Uh, he went out and decided, uh, like, uh, and has been loyal to them since he was like a teenager, um, and was actually training to be a chaplain in their military. More like going away from combat um mm-hmm. and then the tragedy happened yeah um, so tell us about the tragedy so while on a mission um what i have written here is that his home satellite he uh lived on a satellite colony uh was used by the church as an orbital projectile um oh, oh like, the colony dropped him. yeah they did oh, yeah, they colony yeah. dropped his home um, That's and uh, on that home or, uh, or or on that colony or at least it, it, there's no reason to assume not uh, was his spouse Nor who uses they no. who used they them pronouns so he lost his home and the family that he had which was his spouse um, yeah. Yeah, and I think the uh, official like uh, at, like the the known history of what happened here is is uh, called it the ad astra mm-hmm. um but there was some uh, uh catastrophe in which uh it like it suddenly uh fell out of geosynchronous low orbit and crashed into a uh adverse freighter that was docked there and there was just this big horrible explosion or whatever of that nature and like it was later uh, ruled to be like an accident from some like unknown, uh, you know, energy disturbance that can't really be elab- that no one could really elaborate on because there's like nothing to find mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. But for you know one reason or another, uh, whether it's just simple anger or if you have some kind of special knowledge or it's a gut feeling. Uh, there you still think the church is to blame for mm-hmm. that, and that it wasn't just a simple accident. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, so after that, yeah. we get to your opening. Yeah. So um, I think that uh, Giuseppe tried to go rogue, and if uh, he was more competent, he could have like had become Batman or whatever. <laughs> uh, but, but that didn't uh, like without the resources of a military. Um, that wasn't hard really to keep possible. up a mech turns yeah, out, turns without out. money and like a warehouse <laughs> yeah it would be really hard so uh giuseppe has defected to the blue uh, uh, to the blue royals which is the to uh, royal blue royal blue which is the slang for 
the the the, uh, it, the mech military specifically yeah. of Grand Tycon is royal blue. Um, uh, I think I think Sarah mentioned it earlier, yeah. uh, but I hadn't uh, forgot to know that. Yeah, um, and so he is there um, and just uh, moving up the ranks to try to get more resources to find answers. Which I think Radical. we'll get into later. Is, uh, and yeah. by later, you mean now. Oh, okay. The third <laughs> thing we're going to go over is drives. Okay. Uh, what uh, the book lists as what drives are is what do you hope to change in the world? Uh, I think this is a slightly high-minded wording because in my experience, uh, this doesn't have to be like broad world-changing goals. This can very easily be like completely mundane personal ambitions as well. Uh, what the drives are is, so in, I mentioned, I lived this earlier, in Blades in the Dark, the whole reason you went on heists was to get money, so that eventually you could retire into wealth that you would have no way of getting otherwise. Uh, what the drives are is you are going to be fighting in this war regardless, but your drives kind of influence uh, the things that you are fighting for. Um, and instead of, like, getting paid out in your currency for drives, which are... Uh, I will actually explain the mechanics of them a little bit first, which is to say they're a, a four-step clock on your character sheet, and when you fill it up, that is a drive clock that you have banked, and you can cash these in to achieve your goals. Uh, some personal ones will only be one or two drive clocks, but big ones that affect other squads or even entire factions can be three or four. Uh, this is an interesting thing because you can only have two on your sheet, which means for certain goals of certain sizes, you have to actually pool your drive with your teammates who may have been hoping to save their drive for other things. So there's interesting bonding and negotiation to happen there that we'll get to later down the line. The important part about this is drives are the way you earn the ticks in these drive clocks is that you do something to make progress on a personal goal of some kind. Um, so we're going to go over these personal goals uh, in the same order we have been. So, Genome, tell me about Pfeffer Humboldt's uh, drive. Um, reclaim his place in the military hierarchy. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, um, understandable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were, ha you were uh, having your cushy life as you were, you know... A competent yet completely unremarkable otherwise naval captain, uh, I think uh, shunted to a completely different branch of the military and are basically like, you've been afforded a position of minor leadership on account of your accomplishments, yeah. but you realize you're at the bottom of the barrel effectively. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, pretty straightforward. Looking uh, at it, I might actually change that up a little bit. Oh, feel free. Um, Absolutely. To be... Um, Especially because, like, when I wrote this, I didn't fully realize, like, how the military was divvied up. So we I can, think... You, we can have, I think you can have some freedom over that, but, like, the extent that I have thought about it is that there's a mech part, there's, like, a navy and artillery part, and there's mm -hmm. a general, like, personnel part who are, like, ground forces or, or peacekeepers or whatever. And that's kind of like right. the main, like the main divisions, kind of like your army, air force, navy kind of deal. I might have to brainstorm exact wording, but I'm thinking maybe um, just to make things more interesting, maybe he wants to like get back into the navy, but also like 
on a higher scale of hierarchy than he was before. Mm. I oh, think. I like that. Because <clears throat> That's I, fun. Partially because I, I realized, like, how, uh, when I think when I wrote it, I was imagining him maybe being a little higher on the totem pole than, uh, Well, how high do you think you were on the totem pole? <laughs> what? Yeah. How high do you think you are on the totem pole? Or were, I, I guess. I guess, like, ca- Captain. Maybe he wants to become an admiral. Yeah, I was thinking, like, maybe ad- maybe admiralty could be it. Because here's the thing, like, we are only committing this to fact now. If you want right. to decide you, you were either an admiral or were aspiring to be an admiral, you can just do that. <laughs> right. Nothing um, Nothing we have done ahead of time is, like, at all sacred in this moment. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, I'm, hmm, you know, I don't, I don't want to commit to anything right now, but I think he's maybe aiming a little bit higher. Then I'll okay. work something out before we, the next we have some first time. session. Yeah, yeah, we have some time before we do an uh, actual proper episode <clears throat> one, so you definitely have time to stew on it. Um, next up, uh, Arabella Sterenacht. What is your drive? Um, hers is pretty straightforward. It's figure out what Vulcanhund is. Um, and Vulcanhund, for reference, is Arabella's uh, weird prototype mech. That, that you fell have into, some that, strange connection to. <laughs> that just fell into her backyard, and she has a strange connection to. Yeah, so she would very much like to know what this weird thing is, and why uh, why they are yeah. the way they are. I think it's like a thing where uh, this is kind of drive-influencing fiction, where it's like, even though you have this prototype and are being made to operate it under your test pilot auspices just straight up like it doesn't matter who you ask like hey so what's the whole deal with this thing uh no one has given you a satisfactory answer right (laughs) either like they've deliberately tried to just not tell you anything or they've just told you uninteresting things that you already know about it right yeah like yeah all the cool juicy stuff about volk is probably uh extremely state secrets that Arabella <laughs> is not privy to if I had to if I had to guess. Yeah, um it'll probably come up in play, but what I was the part of what I thought is that this mech is technically like property of like one of your chosen factions like higher tier R&D teams. Mm-hmm. So like it's a thing where you have to basically bother them. And you are a test subject to yeah. them. They are not, they do not trust you in the way they trust other members of their actual team. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, next up, uh, Gabrielle Asmodeus. Tell us about your drive. So the drive, uh, that I was inspired to go with, uh, after talking with you is, oh, certainly find my wording here. The sheets are, find someone worth fighting for. Hell yeah. I like that one a lot. What I like about it is that whatever that means, because, you know, it's the the very, like, idiomatic, like, nonspecific wording, whatever that means is going to probably be determined in retrospect by what you do to advance it, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's fun. I enjoy that. Um, And last but not least, Giuseppe, tell us about your drive. So I kind of already kind of mentioned it but it's a little bit more specific than just get answers uh giuseppe is convinced that the colony drop was ordered and was there there are people responsible for making that order and giuseppe's drive uh, drive is to find and punish the person parentheses people and parentheses <laughs> who are responsible for the co- uh, colony drop giuseppe is out for revenge yes. hell yes what i really revenge. like 
What I really like, I will say, about these initial drives is how many of them are just directly ambitious. Yeah. <laughs> because the, the things that, that cross, like, factional lines or squad lines can be really expensive. But mm-hmm. I also like that because it means you have this big thing that you're working towards, like, the entire time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas, and so I think it's fun to have the variety that we have. So yeah. we'll get some. we'll get some people making, like, quick progress and other people who have to really, like tooth and nail drag their way to getting what it is they want one thing i like about my my drive the way i've been thinking about it while i've been like making this and everything is just the fact that like it's possible that if certain things happen it might change uh you can change your drive um like giuseppe might be able to move past this like need for revenge but like i believe you can change your drives whenever the fuck you want (laughs) well it's as long as you can you have to spend a full drive clock to to do it so you have to have at least made one clock of of drive before you can can do it but it can change and so like giuseppe right now is is a little ball of anger and but like with a big smile on it, so it's fine. <laughs> um, oh, you'll love that. So, uh, but I I like the uh, the possibility that either like I'm unraveling this mystery or like Giuseppe is growing as a person. Um, but it, I think in canon it has been like five years since the colony dropped. So Giuseppe yeah, can hold been, a grudge for a while. <laughs> It's been a, a, a meaningful length of time, but not mm-hmm. meaningful enough to make you stop being angry about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, okay. So the next thing we're going to go to is uh, I want everyone to go over uh, the first ability that you chose. Uh, basically, this is me wrapping up the kind of mechanics into one thing for the pilots, because uh, there's a big part of stat generation where like the stats you pick are in many ways uh, affected by your history, tragedy, and opening. And while it's cool, a cool thing, like, mechanically, I feel like discussing the action point stuff is kind of, like, the least interesting part of actually going over character Mm. creation. Um, So instead, uh, in the same order, we're going to have everyone talk about their special ability they picked. So, Pfeffer, tell us yours. Okay, I picked Tactical Genius. Two times per mission, you can assist a teammate without paying stress. Tell us how you prepared for this. This is going to be interesting. Um, So, like, I, maybe to elaborate a little bit on my playbook thing, I wanted to make a character who was like very divorced from the sort of character Blondie was. Right. And so this mm-hmm. is going to be like a support character, so that's going to be interesting. And, and this is also a yeah. really strong ability for this system too, because unlike Blades in the Dark, uh, the cost of stress for assisting someone varies and yeah. will become more expensive as you and that person become closer. Ooh. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to that. That's, That's a fun interesting. thing. Okay. We'll 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 get to that whenever we talk about uh I don't know if it'll be this episode or episode one or a later episode, but when we talk about uh relieving stress mm-hmm. and your Well you know, we're gonna talk about it this episode because we will have to go over connections, but we'll get to that. Uh yeah. Um did you have anything else you wanted to say about uh uh, sorry for interrupting. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, that, 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 that's about it. I think the logistics of it is that, like, he's always had a good tactical mind, but what we're going to be seeing here will reflect him, like, sort of learning a lesson from, like, having so many of his allies die in his tragedy. Like, he's going to be proactive about protecting people. 
yeah, you got you got like real life Kobayashi Marooed a little bit, mm. and now it has caused you to reevaluate your way of doing things, mm. which I think is fun. Um, Arabella, tell us your special ability. Um, the one I picked to start with is meat is cheap, save the metal. Uh, when the vehicle you're piloting takes damage, you can choose for the pilot to take an equal <laughs> level of harm instead. If you resist this harm, take negative 1d to resist the roll. Pilot armor cannot be used to prevent this damage. Um, God, that's such a Sarah ability. That's so your (laughs) brand. Oh my gosh. No, like I said, uh, it's like somebody reached into my dreams and pulled this this whole playbook out. Uh, There are so there are so many abilities in this playbook that I was just like sending to the group chat at like 2am <laughs> yep. like, look at this <laughs> I, I am very excited to see these, some of these especially yeah. as you unlock more of these other weird oh there's ones. so many options it's incredible I want all of them immediately <laughs> <laughs> alright uh, Gabrielle tell us your special ability the ability I picked was Regents of Brilliance you and your entourage I like how you're all my entourage have increased effect when consorting and swaying, so long as you take advantage of how truly impressive you are. Ooh. I, believe, I believe part of the entourage thing is that it's not just your other crews. I believe it might actually also be like cohorts oh. or fire teams who are with you. Or like That's minions so cool. later. Yeah, okay. I have to double check, but I believe the idea is that it's you and anyone who is working directly with you in that scene yeah. is what is what is what that uh, euphemism is. But it is also an indication of your status of stylishness. Uh, and and uh, reminding everyone else before big events people. that we need to dress to impress. Hell yes. Uh-huh. So good. I'm so excited. <laughs> and uh, Giuseppe uh, playing the new type, I will remind everyone. Uh, tell us about your uh, empath special ability. Okay, so I just um, picked the first one because all of them are very good, so I'm just going to go in order, I think. Uh, which is, uh, so t- telepathy is my special ability. You can freely communicate directly to a person's mind as though speaking normally if you have previously had a revealing interaction with them. Hell yes. Hell yes. Additionally, when you are part of a group action, you can spend one stress per participant, including the leader, to let everyone participating in the action use the leader's action rating instead of their own. Oh, oh I, did, I didn't even read that second what? part. That's, uh, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> that's strong. We're, we're, I, I'm really excited. I know that it isn't exactly this, but in my head, it looks like it's like starting a group chat in your brains. <laughs> Just like everyone's so in sync, and I'm I'm just really excited the, about this. The thing it makes me think of actually is, and this is probably going to be a reference, maybe for Sarah. Mm. Um, there's a scene early on in Metal Gear Solid Four. It's in the first act of Metal Gear Solid Four uh, when you first encounter the Rat Patrol, yes, who yes. are kind of who are kind of an allied uh, force. Uh, but they specifically in this uh, nano machines uh, now past, but then future of Metal Gear Solid Four, uh, basically go into a mode of like this kind of unspoken group telepathy, mm-hmm. where they basically do hyper coordinated perfect violence uh, because they can see through each other's eyes. Yep. 
so cool. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. So that's fun. And also it co- it's going to cost you uh, stress to do that. Significant and quite a amount lot of, it, of stress. Which, I'm very fun. Uh, two things about it, about the choice. A, very fun to see Giuseppe trying to manage uh, his stress levels. Uh, B, I'm glad that you've suggested you might take uh, moves in uh, going just in the order they're listing. Because I like the idea that the last move you earn is good hearted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's, it's going to really take a good. lot of stress and trauma and growth to eventually become not just a not good rude person. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Like uh, Ira became rude now, but you were you were sure to. Now start you have to off. become unrude. Um, yeah, it's a long journey. <laughs> The thing the mark, is, I, I was like, path. okay, perfect. I'm going to do an empath. So uh, this time, like, I can actually play to the strengths that I have of being, like, a nice person. And then I was like, actually, no. <laughs> I really, in my heart, I want to be a mean person. I want to- <laughs> I'm, I'm tired of being nice. I want to be evil now. <laughs> I want to go I'm tired of being shit. nice. It's time to go eat shit. <laughs> time. <laughs> All right, so now we're going to get to the uh, fun part. Uh, well, the next three parts of character generation. <laughs> oh my god, this is taking uh, longer than I thought it would. Okay. Um, so, step five of this of this rejiggered process is vehicles. Yeah, we're going to talk about your 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 fucking cool ass mechs. So um, in also like like your histories, kind of in broad detail, just because we'll be able to get like the uh you know detailed action shots and like glamour things of the cockpit or whatever like in action um so we're gonna start with pfeffer humble tell us about your vehicle uh the name model look and load level okay are we doing uh, all, are we saving quirks for later oh you know what we should do quirks too i didn't i didn't put them on here cool okay so uh my vehicle name is the kraken it is a Royal Dockyards Dreadnought from 1879, so this is like an antique mech. It is um, well over 100 years old. Its look is um, bulky, rounded, ornate, and naval. Uh, unlike anyone else here, uh, and probably unlike a, maj- a lot of people in this setting, um, he inherited this mech from his family. And um, it is... Uh, it's it proved like tr- kind of tricky to describe despite the fact that i felt like i was working off something very specific but it's kind of this very big bulky cylindrical thing with a lot of like naval looks like what you said siren was like sort of looking almost like the exterior of a submarine oh, yeah. i say not just like a modern submarine but also right. like it has a very uh, kind of rounded, like the way I envision it, the kind of dark rounded look that like a lot of like Victorian cast mm-hmm. iron stuff has, like oh, boilers yeah. and things like that. And it's maybe not yeah. as explicitly steampunk, but it has that appearance of being a relic out of time compared to everyone else's, you know, relatively sleek modern jet. Right. Um, it is the one vehicle in this party that I've set to heavy load. Which will be fun. So that means it is like uh, over sixty feet tall. Mm-hmm. Yours especially for reasons that you'll get to. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, the quirks are family heirloom, imposing bulk, giant fists, and amphibious locomotion. Uh, the last yeah. one is specifically because I liked the idea of it, like 
kind of doing the Pacific Rim thing of just kind of wading through the ocean, mm. except it's not big enough to, like, touch down anywhere in the ocean, so it's got, like, little propellers built into its legs so it can make itself look taller than it is. Ooh. Yeah, nice. I believe I believe also, like, the uh, kind of image that we talked about a little bit with going in, this being your mech and something you used even when you were in the Navy, uh-huh. is that you were kind of doing the general riding out in the front line on his horse thing of yeah. these ships are fighting each other and then this there's just this this giant mech you know yeah. menacing and doing what it does so that's very fun right um next up let's go with arabella steranoct yeah. uh, i say go with like i'm not going in a specific order <laughs> uh, so give us your name the mech's name model look load level and quirks all right um so i mentioned the name earlier but the vehicle's name is vulcanhund um, and I wanted to say, I was thinking about this before we started the episode. So we have somebody who is both our patron and hangs out in our discord, who is an actual <laughs> German person from Germany. Hi, Joel. I'm really sorry that I'm mangling your language. Uh, I, I, for what it says, I believe he's from Luxembourg. Okay. Which is not Germany. <laughs> but it's directly next to Germany. It's not. So they might, speak German, so might, I'm pretty sure. So. I think might still be mad about it, but... <laughs> I apologize in advance. Um, I believe I believe that's roughly correct, though. I think I believe Vulcanhund is roughly correct. Vulcanhund, I think it. Yeah, you could. It kind of translates out to like pe- the people's dog, um, something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's like the people's, the people's champ, yeah. but like or hound of the people yeah. if you want to, you know, be uh, slightly more dramatic. Um, but the manufacturer is. Uh, I just put this because I figured it seems correct. Uh, the Lotus Tree Research Fellowship, which is the R&D division of Royal Blue. Um, yes. And it's some prototype from there. Probably doesn't even have a model name yeah. because it's a prototype. Yeah. I think I've like taken in joking to calling it like a Thesis V77 mm-hmm. or something like that. But like that is a project name and not what its model is. Right. You know? um, uh, but tell us what, what Vulcanhund looks like. Um, well, to... Say Vulcan Volk's uh load level is light. Uh Volk is the only, I think, light okay. mech in this group. So um he's a, tr- he's a, he's a trim he's a trim, like 30, <laughs> 35 feet tall, um, extremely sleek, very kind of slender, um, way less ornamental than other royal blue mechs. Um, but is like a deep reflex blue with bright red lights kind of mounted in certain spots um there's there's a degree to which he almost looks like something out of uh metal gear revengeance a little bit like almost like a blade wolf adjacent thing Mm -hmm. appropriately enough except humanoid and 30 feet tall (laughs) um and has kind of like a once this episode goes up i'll post the stuff i drew on my twitter um but does have kind of like dog-ish pointed ears uh, like his head is a, it has a very vaguely dog profile to it, which I think is cool. Um, yeah, and there's then, some. I, I believe I was. I believe another specific point of reference for the appearance was kind of adjacent, but not entirely similar to uh, Anubis from Zone of the Enders. Yes, in being very like anthropomorphic dog machine. Because those are the coolest mech designs I've ever seen in my yeah. life. So. They got cockpits. <laughs> they got cockpits. <laughs> Google it. You'll see. Anyway. Um, anyway. <laughs> and then finally, the quirks are, um, these are fun. 
uh, pair bond, lightweight plating, overclocked weaponry, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna go with the initial suggestion you gave me, Saturn. Unique. That's it. Ooh, fun. Those are all fun. <laughs> I, I, I like those. There's, there's, uh, varying degrees of things that are very specific and easily invocable mm-hmm. and things that are very vague. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I, I will mention this now, uh, there's an equivalent to the Blades in the Dark, uh, obviously like stress and trauma, but there's an equivalent of this for mechs as well, mm-hmm. which is that you mark your quirks as the spending them when either pushing yourself to do mech actions or when resisting, uh, consequences as a mech. Um, but if you mark all four, you have a breakdown, which is the equivalent of, you know, having mech trauma. But instead of taking a trauma for your mech, because they ostensibly, ostensibly, don't have personalities of their own, hmm. uh, the most, the last quirk you spent becomes a worse version. Yep. So there's some of these that we'll get to figure out what the fuck that means if and when it happens. <laughs> it's exciting. Uh, so we'll get to that. Uh, next up, we're going to go with uh, Gabriella. Tell us about your mech, its name, model, look, quirks, and load level. Okay, so uh, I figure that Gabrielle, the frame of mech she got was a... Well, at the at the time it was designed, it was a small, light, dueling frame. But things have sort of like moved on since then. She, she's got it secondhand. Uh, but it is a... Uh, Royal Blue model, Rondel Blitz, Mark II. Uh, Rondel for Knife and Blitz for Attack Fest. Uh, It's named named Blue Dahlia. And uh, with the Envoy abilities, you can give it later. Um, It's basically like a fancy limo we've been describing it at. It's medium class, (laughs) because I want to take gear. Mm-hmm. I was really torn between light and medium for a minute because I wanted to be the fat, like, want to be there in the fastest tier, but uh, Volk can yeah, it. Yeah, it, it, it's hard because, like, I think part of why Sarah is continuing to take light is because, A, aside from the variety, B, Sarah gets a lot of playbook uh, abilities yeah, that Ace. let her make the most out of, like, any amount of load size. Mm-hmm. So, like, for her, like, having a gear limit of three for her vehicle is probably not going to be a problem. But you don't really get any abilities like that by default unless you were to take them from the Ace playbook. Um, so instead, you ended up going with Medium just so you have a little more room to breathe. Uh, I, part of me likes to think, because you said this is the Rondel Blitz Mark II, I prefer, I like to think that maybe the Mark I is the small model and oh. there's like a, a very rarely produced Mark III that is a large model. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, there's sure. some, I bet there's some people who really enjoy heavyweight mech dueling. You know, I think there's weight oh, classes. Yeah, for sure. Oh, God, Obvi- obviously, like, the most exciting is, like, the featherweight, because that's well, where the mechs are, like, the fastest, and you get, like, fencing. But I think I think heavy watching some big, two big hosses slug it out. <laughs> <laughs> it sells in wrestling. I bet it sells in mech wrestling, or whatever you may call performative <laughs> combat so, in this so setting. Tell us, so tell us what Blue Dahlia looks like. Uh, Blue Dahlia... Oh, right, you, you choose a whole look for it. Hold on. Yeah. So, I was like, oh, I, I've drawn some interpretive art of some of these, but I feel like for, uh, you know... Okay. Uh, for, yeah, for, so... you know, the sake of the podcast, we should actually probably go over what their right. written descriptions are, you know? So, yeah, the look is sleek. Uh, it has humanoid limbs that are weaponized. I figure there's, like, a bayonet of gun heels, uh, stuff like that. Yes, uh, God, yes. It has a yeah, light yeah, core. Yeah, yeah. It has an armored compact. 
and it has ornate ceramic armor. Mm. So it is a so very cool. fancy looking mech, mm-hmm. even by, by by mech standards, especially. Yeah. Uh, and so tell us about your quirks for this one. So the quirks I have are uh, light-footed. Uh, I have one that's tuned for dueling, so mm. that could come up in a number of ways. Because, mm-hmm. like, for instance, if any time I'm not fighting somebody one-on-one, uh, <laughs> that's sort of a <laughs> so and These are not necessarily things I'm going to invoke against you for penalties, but if yeah. I recall correctly, they are things you can willfully say, like, oh, well, I'm tuned for dueling, and I'm going up against a bunch of enemies, so I should take worse effect here or something, and then get experience from that. Yeah, yeah Like, that's exactly. something you can opt to do, I believe. Yeah, so... Which is uh, and there's a uh, fast and brittle, which is fun. It's there's mm-hmm. there's there's like one that's like a uh, slow and sturdy, and it's like yeah, I want the opposite of that. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and the last one is another sort of one that was given as an example in the book. It's aggressive targeters. Mm. So it might whatever not, I say whatever that be. It could be a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, I figure mm-hmm. it has to do with how the like machine in the like acquires and reacts to targets that it picks up on sensors so yeah uh, it might not be as good for diplomatic missions you know yeah but you know uh, there's, like there's things moving very fast towards us and you know you shred a parade no one else had <laughs> yeah um and last but not least uh giuseppe tell us about your mech its name model look uh load level and quirks all right, so Giuseppe uh, um, pilots a mech named Abathar. Uh, it is a Solarosian uh, Musania Mach 3, uh, which is kind of like the cadet, like basic, like, okay, this has this is a psionic mech. This is, And that's something that's important is that it has, it is not a manual interface. Giuseppe uh, yeah, controls it with, works. yeah. That's yeah. an yeah. We'll we'll get to that, but yeah, uh, the way it looks is it. So it has kind of it, it is kind of what I have written here is a bird like mech that has bladed wing hands and a halo like antenna, uh, but also it can curl up into a ball and float. Um, <laughs> so uh, my to kind of explain this, my quirks have interlocking parts. Uh, the brain blast that I had while thinking about this mech was... <laughs> You're going to call it that, too. <laughs> ...was Bionicle Bow Rocks uh, for my Bionicle oh, yes. games. Yes. <laughs> and, Look, um, Bionicles are cool as fuck. You're not going to hear me complaining yeah. about managing to incorporate them into an anime mech game. Like, absolutely not. I'm so excited, but like they, they're the little enemies that roll up into balls, but they also look like they're birds, and they have like a spring-loaded Ooh. neck that you can peck with and stuff like that and so uh it, it's that <laughs> um, but uh like floaty floaty cool gyroscopy guy yeah uh so my quirks are blade sharp frame um the wing hand kind of things act like blades so that's a way that giuseppe can attack is just like 
to hit people. Well, uh-huh. say, and we'll, I, I think there's part of it where we'll, you'll, there's still things you'll want to use, you know, gear yeah. for just to like mark it. But that's still a thing where you could be like, all right, uh, like for example, I'm attacking with the blade hands. You could mark that as like a melee weapon or two, but then mm-hmm. also use the blade sharp frame quirk to push yourself to get like even more mm-hmm. bonuses on top of that. Yeah. Kind of deal. Yeah, definitely. Um, my other quirk is front loaded armor. Um, so kind of vulnerable in the back, but lots of armor at the, up front. Um, interlocking parts, which again goes into it being able to roll up into kind of a ball. And then the psionic interface, which is really important. Um, I have it as an I like my image in my head is that Giuseppe kind of floats in the middle of this like gyroscoping holodeck thing mm. and has like little hard light panels that that you can press some buttons but it's like also Giuseppe probably wears like a thing around his head that like channels it or whatever you know you know it's very it's very magic sci-fi <laughs> yeah it's a magic sci-fi kind of thing of just like a psychic mech um, cool. And you're so, also yeah. working with a uh, medium load mech. Correct. This is another one where at first in concept it started as small, and then you're like, wait a minute, I want to be able to use gear and I don't <laughs> have any moves yeah. by default that actually make it easy for me to you yeah. know, use more gear. Although we did um, talk about uh, how Abathar is, is probably shorter than Volk, but just like significantly yeah. broader. Yeah, yeah because like, Abathar... Abathar is, like, building-sized, but, like, a two-story building size, mm. but, like, a school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so part of how, part of how uh, it's been described, especially for how it moves around, is that it's almost, like, it's it's not a helicopter in the sense that, like, it has these whooshing blades. Like, it floats kind of eerily, but it moves like a helicopter, mm. basically. Yeah, like, it can hover. it's floating around, kind of. Yeah. yeah. It can hover in one place, it can, like, stop midair, and it can go forward. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, we'll probably talk more about, like, its launching sequence and everything like that, but I'm just really excited about this. I love this round boy. <laughs> it's, he's shaped like a, he's shaped like a friend, it's is true. the thing. Like, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. For our sixth step for the character creation process is a fun part. Uh, it's call signs. Yes! We're going Yay! To- Let's go! So, Normally, uh, like Blades, you'd pick your own call sign, but again, to uh, make reference to uh, uh, other podcasts, Friends at the Table, one of the things they discovered about actual call signs, like for World War II pilots, is that your crew, like the people you fly with, are the ones who make your call sign. Um, and, like, there's a, like, probably a style guide for it. Like, it, they're usually, you know, short, two or three syllables at most, easy to pronounce, not something that would be easily confused over, you know, a radio. Um, but the idea is, instead of, and I'm actually going to ask you all what your preference for this is. Either we do a round robin thing and each player nominates another player to pick their call sign for them, mm. or instead it's every other player collaborates to pick that player's call sign. I'm fine with either of those. Uh, every other player sounds like there's less decision making. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sounds reasonable. All right, so as usual, we're going to start with Pfeffer, but instead of Owen talking, it's going to be everyone else. So, what should Pfeffer Humboldt's call sign be? Oh, God. I, I, I do want to say, because he is the one who was coming into this with, like, from the previous, like, highest actual rank, 
and experience in doing this. I will give you the uh, Clem. I will give you if you want the option, the Clementine cash privilege of saying no, fuck that, and choosing your own. (laughs) Not this time, but I will say he'll probably be the most annoyed by whatever they think. (laughs) I've got one to. I've got one to annoy you. Are you ready, old man? (laughs) Boomer, don't don't wait. Boomer. Boom! No, I'm vetoing this. I veto it immediately. Just straight up. I'm, I'm putting GM veto on Boomer. Sorry. If I if I specifically said, oh, also my gimmick is that I'm like the TF2 demo man or something, but um, see, Owen is taking over. Like as far like this fight playing support, Owen is taking over the very uh sarah role of probably going to be doing a lot of tanking in mech combat (laughs) just because you're rolling with a giant mech that has a huge load limit and as a result you have uh more combat options uh in all likelihood than basically probably everyone except for sarah whose mech's abilities are specifically cotton to that but so who has some ideas for uh his call sign the immediate iron sides uh the one that popped into my head was just boss you know, because I boss feel like is pretty good. everybody I feel would like just call also, him boss, uh, you know? As I feel like boss is good. I think Ironside's also good. Yeah. Uh, probably just shorten that to that, to Ironside's though, and drop the old from that, yeah. movie, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to call him old Ironside. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the three, Ironside's or boss or something else? I I like them both very much. I think that boss is probably like the most succinct and also unique sounding one. I I I I'm seeing we got someone suggest boss. We have at least someone else saying it's good. I feel like because I also don't want to labor on this too long. Sure. And if we decide if we have like staircase wit later, we can change them. Yeah. But for now, we're gonna say Pfeffer Humboldt's call sign is boss. Well, I take back what I said about him being mad. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> I, would like that, yeah. I, I imagine there was a process of them tossing around like names and him just looking annoyed and then someone's like boss and then he his like the furrow brow eases just a little bit and they're like all right boss all right <laughs> um next up arabella sternacht uh pilot of the vulcan hound uh what's her call sign gonna be i have oh. i have a, oh, yes. i have an idea oh boy mm-hmm. red Red is good. Red is I, I look. You can just be Char Asnabel. It's fine. <laughs> like, like here's the thing. Like, I had been thinking, like, oh, maybe like some about dog, maybe some about like the fact that you know she's seen some battle damage and stuff. Red is very hard to pass up. That's a really I, natural. I, I, I was. Like, I don't have a. I don't have a vote in this as GM, but I like the combination of. A, red as in Char Aznable send up because you're the ace pilot and you wear red appropriately. Mm-hmm. Uh, B, as Little Red Riding Hood as companion to the wolf. Oh, yeah. shit. Oh, oh that's man. so good. Oh, that's my God. Really good. Also, you do, also, I didn't you do of... have red hair. Yeah. So. yeah, that was my whole thing was I was like, you have red hair. So. <laughs> oh, see, I, 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 uh, I intuited a uh, very sly uh, literary reference that I had not thought of before and was immediately enamored by. <laughs> That also, I like it so just, well. because, just because Volk is uh, aggressively blue. It works out very well. <laughs> yeah. Before we decide on that, uh, Levi, do you have uh, opinions on call sign? No, red's really great. Yeah. Yes. Cool. All right. Oh, well, Arabelle Sterenopt is now red for, for her call sign. Uh, all right. Gabrielle Asmodeus, pilot mm. of the Blue Dahlia. What's her call sign going to be? <gasps> like, like, there's mystery. Gorgeous. Like, 
Oh. <laughs> Lazy. Oh, I it hard, you actually. have to save Arabella being horny for the game. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, like, let's see. Like, like the thing in my head that I've been like thinking of her as is like, oh, the mystery woman. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if th- that's like succinct enough. It's not um, especially succinct. I my my thing I'm rolling with is like basically whatever will work, but it sh- probably shouldn't be more than three syllables, right? Because you need to be able to call it in a panic, and it and not like trip over yourself, basically. Stiletto. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, yeah, I like that. Stiletto Ooh. is good too because Dahlia also has like, uh, like like well, might heels. have, but might have, yeah, yeah, but also but like. Also, like you know, knives and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Knives. Yeah, he yeah. Also, yeah. I I think that's cool. Uh, everyone cool with stiletto. Yeah, I like stiletto it. is really yeah. good. All right, Gabriel Asmodeus, call sign stiletto. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love her. I'm I I love. <laughs> I, I I think I understand what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> 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 There's way too many people in this podcast type. <laughs> all I had to do was, I, I, literally all I did was say, like, hey, I, I think I think we want to play a sexy character. And I was like, oh, sexy. Sexy things are hot. You said fancy lady with, with tiger stripes. And I started doing the, the, the Tex Avery cartoon wolf shit. Yeah. I just... <laughs> I, I just... I. Yeah. I'm speaking very of, happy. Uh, speaking, speaking of Fern voice, I. Giuseppe Finch, oh, pilot of okay. Abathar. What is this, uh, what is this boy's name gonna be? Uh, for theme reference, if it helps, aside from being an empath, he is also kind of a, a recent church expat. Uh, I don't know if, do you still follow the faith just, you know, bitterly, or have you completely become atheist? Uh, I think that. Uh, Giuseppe's in an agnostic phase right now. Gotcha. <laughs> kind of, kind of just like has like lost faith in the church as a construct, but hasn't really like lost quite faith abandoned in, like, all that. Oh, it's yeah. hard. Name. I've got one. I'm sorry. Yeah, let's hear, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Golden, no, let's hear it. Golden boy. Mm. God. Or just Goldie. That, yeah, when we need to be Goldie's short. cute. That's too close to <laughs> yeah. Blo- it's, yeah. It's it's kind no. of Blondie adjacent, but I also love Fuck it. Fuck that. Who cares? Yeah. Blondie is. That's Blondie right. died. <laughs> Blondie died two thousand years ago. It's Go not a yeah. problem. Yeah, that's true. And it, the church that's, doesn't that's, even know he was called Blondie. That's, that's, I cannot yeah. believe we have. I cannot believe we have Little Red Riding Hood and Goldilocks. Holy shit! <laughs> oh my we god! Are, yes. Oh, we, we've re- no. We've recreated Ruby. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh no! It's fine. No, you know what? It's fine. Uh, get, our our fights are going to be pretty kick-ass. Wow. So Pro- probably better than Ruby. Hey. 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 Oh. Um, so Giuseppe Finch, call sign Goldie. Goldie. And we might reserve the right to go back and change these because like most of the character stuff we've kind of, you know, figured out ahead of time just because we want to be invested in the long term for this. But, you know, we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. So call signs are done. We're almost done with character generation. Actually, you know what? Well, I'm going to say this last part of character itself for, I think, uh, something to come up. For, for us to do uh, between this and episode one. Okay. And then come up in episode one. Because the last thing I have here is the beliefs, which is the uh, mm. connections thing. And basically the idea here is for your in your connections, which is on your sheet, uh, for every other pilot in your squad, uh, you are going to put their name. And then you are going to write a one sentence belief about them. 
and these beliefs are not like, uh, oh, I think that they are going to, or I want, it's statements about them that your character perceives as true. Um, one of the thing, like the examples that we kind of went over while talking about the game ahead of time is like, oh, uh, maybe, uh, Arabella and, uh, Gabrielle, like, do some VR mech sparring thing, and Gabrielle develops a belief about Arabella that's, Bella is more vicious in the VR arena than she is on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Like, that is an example, like, belief that you would have in your connection, that okay. style of thing. Um, I think, though, that we should save that for off-air, because I was gonna do that on-air, but, like, we're actually, like, I was expecting this was not going to take as long as it did, and this part is pretty cerebral and will probably require some, like, talk and adjudication about it, so we're going to leave that on the table. So now we've done what we're going to do for the uh, player generation, even though we still have, you know, the belief stuff to deal with, but we're going to move on to squad generation, Uh, much like your crew in Blades in the Dark. The squad is the separate playbook sheet for your entire group and your combined resources and uh, collective relationships and things of that nature. Uh, not much to explain out the gate. It's sim- It's like directly similar in function. So instead, we're going to go in order here. This one's a bit closer to the actual rules as written order because there's not like, you know, stat generation parts. Um, the first thing is faction choice. Uh, by default, your squad is part of or works for a faction, sometimes owned by that faction, sometimes not. Uh, there are six options in the rulebook. One is working for an autocracy faction, or an autocratic faction, rather. Uh, one is working for a democratic faction, a corporocratic faction, an oligarchic faction, a theocratic faction, or n- not working for a faction being independent. Mm-hmm. And all these options have different uh, mechanical uh, consequences. Um, for instance, uh, so like if you work for a corporatocracy, for instance, uh, whenever you get your payout for finishing a mission, you'll get extra, I believe, material, like two extra material from your payout mm. uh, because it's, uh, you know, they're paying you extra money, that okay. kind of deal. And then independent is supposed to be the harder option of you don't have this faction and you're not adherent to its... Uh, expectations, but you don't get those extra supply lines or bonuses or things like that. Um, so I'm going to go over what I wrote as this setting sort of uh, canon factions in very brief. Uh, the autocracy faction, which uh, is Grand Tycon, uh, specifically Royal Blue, which is the military, uh, the, mech, the mech military of the Carnation Crown of Grand Tycon. The Democratic faction uh, and, and they're like, oh, I should actually describe more of them. So, uh, Grand Tycon is basically, it's set in, it is a kind of imperialist, uh, monarchy a little bit, um, with the auspice that it's, uh, it's royal bloodline, uh, the Faros bloodline, as you might notice a similarity of that, uh, claim to hail from one of the saints who was responsible for quote unquote bringing back the sun and have their, and this is their version of the divine the divine right of monarchy is that they are literally descendants of sainthood. Um, and there, though there have been many kingdoms in the past of this world, especially after the return of the sun and the weird dark age that followed, theirs is the most successful. They have basically gobbled up all of their immediate competition, uh, more or less taken over the entire continent that they're on and have kind of set their sights on, you know, 
unifying the world as a whole under their Azure banner. Uh, the Democratic faction is the best interest of United Ockers. It's a uh, kind of a federation of different uh, lesser, not lesser, but like different smaller countries who are all from the continent of Ockers, which we would recognize as an audience as being Akaros, the imperial setting from Blades in the Dark. And that place had Scovlan and Iruvia and uh, Severos and all those other places. Um, here, they're different. Broadly, it's like the Commonwealth of North Duscovy, which is kind of a, uh, you know, Leninist, communist kind of uh, arrangement in North, in North Alkers. There's the Marble Pact in the middle, which is like a collection of uh, city-states, basically. And then there's the, I believe, the Principality of Iruv, I believe I have written down. And they're kind of a, a royalist, almost themselves kind of oligarchic, but not entirely uh, society. And their whole thing in being part of United Ockers, as it's called, is that they hate monarchy and want to stop and believe in the kind of this nationalist concept of like the right of self-determination of peoples. Uh, kind of deal mm-hmm. where they do they they have their their unifying goal for everything else they disagree on is that Grand Tycon cannot be allowed to take control of the world. Absolutely not. Everything else is secondary. Mm-hmm. The third uh, canon faction, the corporatocracy, the corporatocracy. I'm going to stumble over that word every time. Uh, it's called Adverse, and it's military division uh, proxy. And they're kind of like, uh, they're, they're called, they're a global services provision is what they call themselves. Basically, it's what if Uber, uh, became Amazon <laughs> is kind of the idea. They have a monopoly on basically every contract service or like service whatsoever. Like if you need a mechanic, it's probably an adverse mechanic. If you need uh, a labor force to, for your company, it'll probably be an adverse labor force. If you need someone to walk your dog on Thursdays and you found that person on Craigslist by next week, they will be an adverse employee. Like they're huge. <laughs> Um, and they have uh, extensive uh, financial interest in kind of spurring on the war between the autocratic and democratic uh, factions. It's good for their bottom line to provide PMC work to both sides, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the oligarchy, who is this basically band of, I called them a pirate cartel in the intro. Uh, they're called Dragon Teeth, and their whole thing is that whenever... Uh, they started getting back into like naval maritime heavy industry in this re renewed world. Uh, piracy came back in a big way. And now they're this kind of like almost like Connet type of like roving landless marauders, basically who have a like sense of culture and history all to themselves and never stay anchored in one place. Um, and they're kind of a menace, but they're also, like, if you are someone who is, like, a radical anarchist or something, that is also the kind of crew you would hang out with, because they're the ones who are equipped to fight these major powers. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one is the Theocracy, which is the solar auspice of Rosen Azur, and its military branch, which is called the Sanctity of Violence. And they're, (laughs) yeah. And so their whole thing is that they're ostensibly, you know, not subordinate to, but they're friendly with, uh, Grand Tycon. It's kind of like a Roman Italy situation. Um, but their whole thing is that they are trying to ply like their soft power and like the faith that peoples across the world have as kind of a check 
to the other major conventional powers and are perhaps using that for uh for mechanisms and machinations of their own uh collectively uh because i put it to a poll uh long before we actually started the real prep for this uh, basically everyone on the crew wanted to work for the autocracy faction, uh, Grand Icon. <laughs> we want to be fancy knights, shut up! Uh, Blue, Blue Royals have the best, uh, uniforms, so... Yeah. I say, actually, part of this too, because I forgot to put it on here, part of this is the first thing is choosing the squad playbook, and the, the squad playbook y'all also chose, uh, unilaterally, was the, uh, consulate, uh, mm-hmm. which is basically, like, your whole, th- your, your favored missions are negotiation, espionage, sabotage, and propaganda ops. And your whole thing is being the diplomatic power who sometimes wield mechs tools of warfare. Like, that kind of thing. Um, I'm so excited for fancy parties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the combination of those two is that the group interest was to, hey, let's do fancy bowls and wear fancy imperial <laughs> uniforms, and that that's where we're at. So there's not really a faction choice there to make. I just want to go over it and give some, you know, descriptions of the, of the factions before we get into like the other stuff. Second part is really simple. It's setting the squad's relationships. To start with, these are all zeros because your squad is unknown and you haven't done anything yet that would uh, engender one crew or another to have a negative reputation with you. Mm-hmm. The third step and we're going to get back to uh, collaborating here, uh, is we're going to create an NPC who is your direct superior. This NPC is the person... So we've established that Pfeffer Humble is the one who's the captain, who's boss, and who kind of, you know, takes command of the crew when you're doing field ops. This person, though technically you're, you know, though technically in over... Uh, Pfeffer in terms of hierarchy, they're not, uh, their narrative mechanic basically is to serve as kind of your direct connection to the NPC faction at large. So they're going to be the one who's giving you, uh, your directives from high command. They're going to be the one who helps you put in touch with, uh, other squads in the faction and for what resources you might need from them, so on and so forth. Um, well, I had tossed around some ideas for this person beforehand. What I would instead like to do is, going back in our usual order, I would like to have everyone suggest a quality of this person. Um, and that could be anything of, like, what they act like, what they look like, what their history is, that kind of thing. So, starting with Owen, I'd like you to tell me one thing about your direct superior. Okay, um... I've been thinking about this, and I think that what I want to go for is patriotic. Excellent. Ooh. Perfect. I love that. That's good. I like that. <laughs> That's one of those ones that I'm immediately just like, ah, I can I can feel the bullets being loaded into chambers for both good and ill. <laughs> um, all right. Next up, uh, Sarah, what's one quality of your direct superior? What's a what's a more succinct way to say that there's somebody who doesn't quite smile with their eyes? Insincere, maybe? Sure. Or uh This this notion of somebody who is very friendly, um Two Faced. Two Faced. Two Faced is pretty good, I think. Somebody Two Faced is good. I, I like mm-hmm. it specifically because I was kind of imagining like one of my concepts beforehand had this quality as well. 
uh, of someone like, and this is going to be for, well, actually for like half of us here, of the drifter from uh, Destiny 2 a little bit, of being very uh, jovial and smiley and there being absolutely nothing behind them. Absolutely. 100% <laughs> Completely devoid of real warmth. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Stellar. Love it. All right, Levi, what's one quality of the direct superior? Okay. And again, this can be personality, can be appearance, history, like anything. Uh, rising star, or maybe like ambitious. I, I like am. I like ambitious. Mm-hmm. I think ambitious is definitely workable. We're painting. We're painting a really unflattering picture of this person so far, which I enjoy. Well, I mean, you're asking us. It's like, hey, what do you think of your boss? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh... it's not just, I will say, it's not just what you think of your boss. It's also like, like I'm asking you very truthfully, what is a quality that they have? Mm. Yeah. Like, okay. and that, yeah, I was just, saying, that can be that can be like obviously as we've gone so far, their personality. It can be oh, they used to do this for a living, or they used to be in this unit. It could be something like, they're oh, tall okay. and have these features, or anything like that. Um, so, if anyone wants to rethink theirs, uh, feel free. But for now, uh, with patriotic, uh, two-faced, and ambitious, I'm going to move on to Fern. I'm, What's the quality gonna, of your direct superior? I'm going to do a really easy one. Um, orc. Theranor. Great. Theranor. Great. Great. <laughs> Thank you, Fern. You're Thank welcome. You. Fantastic. Oh, this is a fun character already. <laughs> All right. Oh, who's go- man. Who- who's going next? Are you picking Fop? Because you need to pick Fop. <laughs> do we have anyone left or are we, like, cashed out? Like, I, I mean, we can do another round if you want. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's fine. Let's okay. do another round. <laughs> One more round. Right. No, I'm joking. I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tell you what, we'll stop, we'll leave it there for now, but we can talk about this person more off-air. <laughs> like, we have to, like, yeah. figure out, like, a name for them and all that. So I'm gonna write down patriotic, two-faced, ambitious, Orc. Orc. <laughs> this is a mm, fun. This is fun. I like that. Um, so our next step. Uh, oh, so next step is another part of this. This person, this patriotic, two-faced, ambitious orc, uh, much like uh, the patron that we talked about with our crew very early on Blades of Dark, they have some good reputation with one squad either in your faction or in another faction, and they have bad rep with another squad. Um, so what I'll say is, if we want to keep this kind of simple, like, if you have a specific idea for a kind of squad that this person might be in good or bad with, we can talk about it. But otherwise, what we could also do is say, like, they're in bad with, I don't know, like the United Ockers, uh R&D faction, or something like that. We can keep it to... Uh, to like faction and squad and like the very like clinical sense and figure out what that is from there. Or mm. we can actually like kind of be uh, ambiguous about this. I, I have an idea. Okay. What if they have a bad reputation with Tycon's R and D department? Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. oh my God. Oh, I love that. I love that. Okay. That's great. Um, because your, uh, prototype pilot, I believe the one is that they will, uh, they will, I believe what a negative one means is they will hurt you if they don't have to go out of their way to do it. Oh my God. Which is fun because you have someone whose mech is, is dependent on their support. 
I also, <laughs> I'm sorry. It also feels very easy to justify in the context because this because they were like, hey, we recovered this like cool mech, and this person is like, I want it for my diplomatic thing. <laughs> and somehow they got it and Lotus yeah. Tree Reese, and now they're annoyed because they keep having to route through your squad just to actually get your just to get fucking Arabella's like test Vitals. results and diagnostics and stuff like <laughs> right. that. And they're incredibly pissed about it oh great okay um so what's the squad that this person has a good relationship with it can either be in your faction or a different faction and i think if it's a good relationship with a different faction i think you're probably going to be limited to like i mean you it can be whatever i think proxy or i think adverse and solarosa are the most likely yeah um but i mean it's theoretically possible they have a good relationship with some dragon teeth or ua squad just less likely i was gonna say proxy just because i think that's the most interesting but i also okay i also think it could be well if they're friendly with someone in proxy what kind of like group would you think like not not even just like playbook or whatever like what do you think their connection to proxy would be what if it was um okay so the two things that come to my mind are one and something that's equivalent to us, like an envoy mm-hmm. parallel, or mm-hmm. two, maybe like a logistics group, people who can like get shit. Yeah, I like the logistics idea. Mm-hmm. We feeling logistics? Yeah, I was, I'm always a fan of logistics. Cool. <laughs> Catch me in uh, transport based, I, tycoon. I would say just based on what I have for uh, like the pre, I, I filled mm-hmm. out a sheet of like pre because there's like a, a prefab squad list that's very long. Uh, and I, I didn't have to, but because I wanted to, uh, write a bunch, like, come up with a bunch of names for different squads, uh, I decided to go ahead and fill these out, like, with an equivalent amount of squads to what are there by default. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you picked a pretty good one to be in a, to have a good relationship with, I'll say. <laughs> the Adverse Logistics Squad is a pretty good one to be on good terms with. What is their name? Um, what is their name? Uh, their name is Part and Parcel. Oh, that's so oh, good. Oh, shit, that's so God, good. God, shut up, that's so good, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I have this, I ha- I'll, I'll write this on the, I guess you're already probably writing it on the crew sheet. Is there a place to on the crew sheet? Actually, may not be. I have it on the faction sheet, so it's okay. Um, okay. So don't worry about it. Um, there is one more thing, though, because there is another squad that you have a bad reputation with. And it's not because of a character generation thing or a crew generation thing. It's because Giuseppe has declared a rival ahead of playtime. Shut up. Oh. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Listen. Listen, I need the drama. <laughs> oh, so, uh, I love uh, it. In, in very broad strokes, do you want to give us like the name and relationship that you have to your yeah. rival? And, and Don't get too into details because I do want to save some of the stuff we've talked about for yeah. when this person shows up. But like, give will- us like the broad strokes of Giuseppe's rivalry. Uh, so, uh, the way that it has been written, thank you so much for adding that to my sheet, by the way, Saturn. Mm-hmm. The way that it has been written is Sister Felicity, a mentor. Ooh. Uh, and so, Solarosa, a mentor from Giuseppe's past. Yeah. And we can get. I, there will be more details. Into, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and I will tell you right out, uh, cut, just to give you the names, uh, because you have the names of the other factions you have relationships with. Uh, you are now in bad with a squad called Half Light Sizzigay. And Which they, is also, you know what? Also a Tamino name, like also a Gundam name, but it's the name of the squad and not a person. I mean, it could be a name of a person. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But that's what their squad's name. Do we do we want to do we want to tell them like what type of squad it is 
from no because well, I, okay. I, I i didn't tell you that i don't believe mm. okay got it i don't believe you know i think you just know the squad's called half light sisage okay cool um cool. so the next thing uh for squad generation is we choose a starting goal for our faction Oh. Um, so normally, uh, the fact, like, it, this is a holdover from Blades of the Dark as well, uh, and the faction mechanic that I never really used there, is that, you know, as time progresses and as different groups work towards their objectives, uh, they'll fill long-term project clocks and things will happen based on these. Uh, in this, every faction has a current goal, and that is a four-step clock always, and at once permission at most, if you do something or achieve something that directly accomplishes part of that goal... Uh, you can fill a block on the progress clock. And these have a limited listing because achieving these goals gives permanent bonuses. So if you have the books open, I'd like to have you go to page 176 where oh, we talk okay. about the options for what your faction's first goals are. Um. What you have are Assault the Foe, which is soften up a specific enemy in a held region prepared for capture, uh, Golden Streets, which is improve the supply situation of the patron faction. A hostile takeover, which is deny the enemy supplies. Uh, intelligence coup, which is steal valuable information from the enemy. Uh, manufacture heroes, which is uh, a weirder one, but involves <laughs> pitting your crew against more powerful crews so that your legend can be artificially inflated, basically, mm. uh, for propaganda reasons. Um, secure the borders, which is, you know, taking proactive measures to protect a faction. And I believe those are all the default ones. I, um, I think there was also... There's Divided, divided They fall. fall, yeah. Oh, Divided They Fall. Oh, I missed, I, mm. I missed these ones in the gray. Or, some in the gray. So also Divided They Fall, which is manipulate the enemy's plans. Uh, and Hearts and Minds, which is change popular opinion of a faction, of a faction in a manner that benefits your faction. Mm. And so these are, like, the starting options. And normally, they're, in other games, I would let you just say whatever, but these have specific mechanical benefits that you get for doing them. So at least for now, I'm going to say that we stick to uh, these default ones, and maybe in the future we can write custom ones from them. Okay. Uh, so do any of these speak out to you as goals that your faction, Royal Blue, would be pursuing first? Um... I... I kind of like the idea of um, assault the foe because that is very much not our specialty. So finding like missions that play into that that are still envoy mission, I mean uh, consulate missions, could be interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was thinking on the other side of like things that sound good for like being a consulate, and those ones to me are like the hearts and minds. And then I also really like intelligence coup. Yeah, I was thinking mm. the same. Hearts and Minds are Intelligence Coup, play to our strengths. Mm -hmm. um, Golden Streets could also be good. Uh, I don't uh, know. I like, I'm also kind of leaning Hearts and Minds. Because it sounds like we have three of four for Hearts and Minds. Yeah, yeah that sounds good to me. And just, and just so, as like rationalization is that it does play to our strengths, but it does also kind of allow for different kinds of strengths being played. You know, like mm -hmm. combat yeah. and mm -hmm. um, like more soft diplomacy kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. I'm going to write that here and now and later on, probably after recording, uh, we can figure out if there's anything more specific to it. Like if you're changing opinion about a specific 
enemy faction or by what means you intend to do so or whatever because we'll we still have some stuff to discuss vis-a-vis like setting up the actual campaign so but we'll get to that that's not too far away um so we have the squad playbook that we've actually meant oh i have this written later but i feel like you have to actually choose it first uh the squad playbook that you chose was the consulate which as we've gone over is like diplomatic missions and espionage and stuff like that you also like blades set an initial reputation uh Mm. this is there's some examples but like this is kind of like the daring or subtle or uh forceful or whatever and it's the reputation that your that your squad has for the way it acts and you get bonuses if you develop that or live up to it or whatever. So what do y'all think would be a good uh, reputation for your squad to start with? Uh, importantly, there are some like uh, example ones listed somewhere in the book. I lost track of it. But these are not like your only options. Like it can be whatever. So I have a thought. You had mentioned before how like like three quarters of our crew are kind of novelties. Mm-hmm. So like I, I don't know like I don't know if exotic is right. I was but... thinking like loose cannon or unpredictable. Mm. I feel like I like unpredictable is a pretty strong of that because ultimately this is something where it's like this is not just your reputation like around the rumor mill. This is your reputation vis-a-vis like how like what your missions are like too yeah unpredictable is really good actually i kind of like fascinating to be honest <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> um, uh, between I, fascinating i consider flashy unpre- Ooh, flashy's flashy. Also really flashy, flashy kind of flashy kind of combines fascinating and unpredictable i love it <laughs> <laughs> it's really flashy because i as a gm like that uh, because it gives, it gives me a standard that I can hold you to, or at least suggest that I'm holding you to, which is fun. <laughs> um, so that's pretty easy. Uh, next is deciding what our forward operating base is going to look like. Um, this is just like your base from your crew in Blades and Dark. It's kind of a description of where you're working out of. Um, importantly, uh, even though this is kind of a conflict I've described in global scale before, uh, I don't think that that necessarily means, like, you need to pick something that's going to make it easy to get around, because, like, I do, truthfully, I care more about y'all, about your mix situation being cool mm-hmm. than I do a thing. And also, like, whatever scope we're even engaging with the broader conflict in is also still kind of something that has to be decided uh, later on. Like, even though there is a a whole world of war there it's possible that our specific corner of the war of the war is focused on a specific country or even a specific city right so uh choose i would say uh if you have any ideas about your forward operating base uh some examples given are like oil rig uh asteroid mining platform uh abandoned bar i think is one of them (laughs) uh it can be any kind of building or large mobile vehicle or something like that that you can have all your mechs in basically something like how big is your family estate oh shit Hmm. (laughs) oh i had been picturing like sort of like a seaside manor that also has some like kind of like naval fortress vibes to it 
Um, I had not been thinking about that at all, but you know what? It's if you guys good. want to like come live at my house, we're gonna crash. <laughs> I I love that because also like because you mentioned like oh maybe it's a big manner of some naval fortifications. I like the idea that maybe like. Almost in the way of the Lord Governor's Mansion, ironically enough, that there's a degree to which your your estate is combination mansion and sea fortress. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was a sea fortress at some point, and then when it stopped being as tactically important, it got fashioned into a manor, but still has all those old ramparts and shit. Yeah, okay, sure. I love it. I love that. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I also like the I also like the idea that maybe it was chosen because like literally it's giant space that you own or at least have influence in and mm-hmm. like literally there wasn't anywhere else to put the squad. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, how about your house? And here's like, uh, okay. I guess. That also really fits the uh, default upgrades we get for our FOB, which is quarters and uh, insight training oh good so that means like there are bedrooms and also like a study or something you literally have guest bedrooms for the oh my gosh (laughs) i just love the idea of just like this is the the closer boss can get to our babysitter the better (laughs) (laughs) literally literally, i'm sure i'm sure i'm obviously not going to speak for genome's character there is definitely probably a point in in this process and maybe something we'll cover in the opening where you're like i'm just being asked a bunch to babysit a bunch of liabilities that no one else wants to be responsible (laughs) yeah that's kind (laughs) of it (laughs) oh stellar well, uh, forward operating base, I'm going to go ahead and write that as a Humboldt Estate. Mm. Uh, how fun. How fun. <laughs> um, okay, FOB cho- chosen. The next thing we get is we get a squad ability and two upgrades. Oh, boy. So squad ability is going to be the special abilities that you see on the sheet if you have it open. I think only two of you do. Naughty, naughty. Uh, I did where, link it earlier. Where is like the sheet? One second. Um, so these are uh, silver tongues. Uh, each PC may add an action rating to command sword or sway up to max rating of three. Um, accord. Uh, you can count up to plus three. You can count up to three uh, squads or factions that you have plus three nice. reputation with as though they were heart, which is a fun thing. Uh it's not something that'll come up immediately, so it might be saved better for a later upgrade, mm. is what mm. I'll say. Basically, uh, if you have heart, which is something you normally only get from the public works upgrade, it reduces the amount of reputation that you need to be able to upgrade your factions tier. Okay. Essentially. Um, high society, which is that you take plus one trust during downtime with your patron faction or hiring faction, and take plus one D to gather info about the region's elite. Seems appropriate enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's friends in high places, take plus one D when making a supply roll, uh, which is very good, uh, because that just means when you finish a mission, you're likely to get more supplies or quote unquote money oh. for your result. Uh, noble officer, take plus one D when challenging someone to a duel. Oh God. <laughs> T- take plus one D when fighting against your duel opponent. <laughs> I, I can, I can hear the desire, uh, hamster wheels, uh, spinning out of control. <laughs> Um, PR campaign, which is pilots and cohorts take plus one D when attacking someone's reputation or when bolstering the reputation or of the squad or one of its members. That's and so then sponsor. Too. When you advance your tier, it costs half the supply points it normally would. Who's your sponsor and why do they help you? So of these special abilities, which one's uh, standing out the most to y'all? Uh, the two that 
stick out to me the most as like as like beginner um abilities so like a thing that kind of helps is like a base um okay well the one that sticks out the most is like a beginner one is silver tongues the one that sticks out to me as a human being with fire in her blood <laughs> is noble officer but <laughs> you know i'm down for noble officer a sponsor definitely came to mind yeah. i do remember that like the like cost of upgrading tier wasn't something we did much it's not something we missed it's not something we did with blades but my think my i would like to engage more with the actual uh intended mechanics of this game because they make it uh easier to do and also blades is something that like i would run for like two sessions and then get a gm depression and then not run it again for eight months Mm. Mm. um which i mean blocks work in mysterious ways but my intent is for this to be a more regular thing (laughs) gotcha um, um, but I still, so yeah. I still, I, mm-hmm. I like silver tongues because it's just a good, it's like a bread and butter skill, you know, mm, it's like something yeah. that all of us can use, especially considering our specialties. I um, think Levi and Fern, what kind of opinions do you have about this? Um, uh, yeah. I like silver tongues a lot on, uh, I like friends in high places. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know the specifics of the supply roll, but more stuff sounds good. Yeah. Supply it also makes is, sense uh, if we have like, uh, our mentor. Meant our officer person, no, the person, yeah. the person that's on top. Yeah, uh, our spirit, our, our orc. Yeah, uh, <laughs> if he if he is like friends with the 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 part par, part and parcel. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Um. Okay. So it sounds like we're looking at silver tongues is pretty popular. Uh, I believe Friends in High Places, something has gotten some traction, and obviously Noble Officer has gotten some traction. So between those three, does anyone want to make a case for one specific over the others? Um, I, I think I'm leaning Silver Tongues, but also if we wanted to go sponsor, I would volunteer um, Lady Humboldt. Which is a character oh that only God. Saturn and I have discussed. What? Which is oh, I didn't know there was uh, a Lady Humboldt. Are you married? It is not. It is not my no. wife. Oh. Uh, it is my grandma. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she is uh, for for reference, and she might come up whether you take sponsor or not. Uh, she is the currently like she is the person in the Humboldt family who currently has like the standing political office and mm. legal authority over the estate. She is, uh, well, you just, you tell me if this is true or not, but one of the things you talked about is the idea is that she is older than your mech is. Yeah. Oh God. Um, that's so she, cool. She like, is like a hundred and fuck you is yeah. how old she is. Ba- basically like to, I guess kind of lay my cards out. Um, like sh- she is like, the monster that's revealed at the end of a Lovecraft story, except she's just around, you know? She's just gam-gam. Um, and she's, really a and lady. she's played by Dame D- Judy Dench. We get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, th- it sounds like those are... We can also take some time to think about it and as we discuss some of the other things that we want to do here. Mm-hmm. Um, we could uh, talk about base upgrades first, because these are more uh, direct... Uh, things even though there's a lot of options yeah um given the number of options i want to like i was looking at this and unless someone else has specific stuff they have eyes on i want to make a specific pitch for both of our because we pick two upgrades right we pick two um what i will say is um if this affects it at all which it might 
is that uh, as far as uh, for just a downtime mechanics thing, um, it is probably a good idea to have a workshop. Yeah. Um, and, and also, even though this is not something you can get directly from uh, your upgrades, uh, you will probably want to uh, try and focus really early on on getting someone who can do medic stuff or doctor stuff, because unlike, oh, yeah. last, unlike the last game, none of you have this ability in your default playbooks. Yeah. Right. So... Um, because it's a thing where just, like, otherwise, like, there is, it becomes a, a process to secure medical treatment mm. or uh, mech mm. repair, and sometimes one that you have to repeat. Um, so I will say it's, like, you don't have to pick one of those, but it is definitely a thing where if we're just talking, like, steering mechanics, one or, one or both of those would definitely, like, make parts of this uh, less difficult for you. Okay. What were the two so... you were going to pitch, Owen? So first, the first one I was going to bring up was a consulate uh, specialist one, which is consulate rigging. Two of each pilot's items are perfectly concealed. That's cool and useful. Yes. Um, though I also, it did make me stop and realize the fact that gear only exists until you declare it does make the fact that, like, pulling out a gun out of nowhere is something we can kind of do anyway. I think the intent is that, um, at least for me, is that the way I would read this is A... Uh, in certain situations, it might make you look less loaded up than you do otherwise. Mm. Um, but B, also, in the event that you have declared gear, if you would then right. declare it is concealed, it will be harder for enemy... It will be harder for me as a GM to uh, take away your toys as a role consequence, basically. Right. Um, but that's kind yeah. of... you know, it, There is some reasonable concern about it being kind of abstract, because it is kind of abstract. Uh, concealed is not a... Uh, mechanic so much as it is a uh suggestion of one <laughs> right um it is use i realize it's also useful for stealing things mm. um the yeah, uh the other one i was going to suggest um is uh personal clothier um which gives wow. us a plus one to engagement rules for social engagements and also we would have a tailor Hell yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Call yourself <burn>. Oh. <laughs> uh, so what are the rest of y'all's opinions about uh, squad upgrades while we also think about maybe what we want to do for special abilities? I realize this is kind of a, a big brain think uh, part, but that's just kind of how it goes. Uh, I wanted to save this for on air just because this is something that we have to discuss kind of collaboratively, and that's easier to do in this setting. <laughs> Um, well, I am going to make the argument for infirmary. Uh, I do think that's a, a good <laughs> that's idea. That's true. Your, your character that, is intentionally yeah. going to get hurt. You would still need to acquire a doctor, but sure. having the infirmary is going to make even the baseline, like, without healing, is going to still make it better. Yeah, it, <laughs> if at we least have a we have a first aid kit. Yeah. <laughs> If we have a doctor and a tailor, they can have cute little lunches together. Oh, oh my god. They can be the oh, no. Either that or they can be the same person. <laughs> I just they call me Dr. Taylor. Oh my god. I just remember Fern knows what I'm talking about. What it was like to be. <laughs> they can have cute little lunches and discuss literature together, yeah. and then the writers can be like, "But they're straight, though." Oh my god. <laughs> uh, we're the writers, so no, they won't be. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> 
so I'm hearing an argument for uh, infirmary and and uh, clothier. Was it personal clothier? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, does uh, anyone have other ones they'd prefer to suggest elsewise? I would say if we don't get uh, workshop now, we should get workshop in the next round, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sounds, sounds we should, smart. We should definitely make sure that that happens. Yeah. It's a thing where it's like it's not like you can't repair your mechs if you don't have a workshop, but you have to. It's like you end up having because you have more downtime actions per downtime in this mm-hmm. in this game. But these are things where it's like if you don't have a workshop, you have to spend downtime actions to get access to a workshop. If you don't have a doctor to heal you, you will have to spend downtime actions to get access to a doctor that will heal you. Mm. Like that kind of thing. Mm. Okay. So getting Maybe. these figured out is is a good, just like, meta thing. But I also don't I... want to tell you to be boring and take infirmary and workshop because fuck that, play on the edge. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think infirmary I... and workshop are both good ideas. Though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, okay, how about, how about, you know what, both those things would make sense to have in a, like, Upper in class family military yeah. base. Yeah. 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 So yeah. So yeah. You know what? I'm good with that. Let's be boring to start with, and then we can like go and steal fancy things from other squads. We'll get, like, we'll if get you think about later. it. If we think about it in the fluff side of things, it might be that like it's kind of the estate isn't like up to like extreme snuff, but as we move in and make it fancier. We also bring in more fancy things. Oh, sure. That does sound good. Yeah. yeah. I like it. Um, has anyone given any more thought to special abilities? Because we still have not chosen one. I really I, like I, the idea of sponsor now that I know that there's a... There's a it would also... I will say, I'm not going to push for sponsor because I'm the GM and ultimately it's your choice. I feel like her being the sponsor would make sense for why it is you can use the house as a base at all, even though it's not... You do not... You are not the estate holder. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that as, like, a you need to take this as a narrative tax thing, though. I just think it would make sense I also like the idea of this old lady being like, I am going to help my grandson get back into the the right place of the army and so i will let them them practice here or whatever i i I briefly mentioned this to owen like while talking about the idea of this character but she is so old she has a childhood memory of when the family first was awarded the mech damn that's so cool she remembers what it looks like when it was glossy and shiny the first time that's so cool but she's gonna be around either way. This just depends on whether or not she is like slipping us pocket money. Yeah, I like to think that even if she's not your sponsor, she is still someone who lives on your forward operating base. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I'm uh, Silver Tongue's your sponsor. I, I say we vote on it. There's four of us. Uh, yeah, vote. Saturn- let's, let's, look, let's call it that Silver Tongue's your sponsor. All tie break if it comes to it. Okay, I'm actually going to vote for Silver Tongues. Silver Tongues. Silver Tongues. All right. Oh. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry. Okay. Hey, wow. we've established that Lady Humble is here. Uh, her not being a sponsor doesn't mean she can't be later. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So we've gotten your two upgrades and your squad ability. Um, and the last step of squad generation, I know we're getting long in the tooth, uh, listeners, uh, but that's fine. Don't worry about it. Is naming the squad. <gasps> The most important okay. part. Okay, so here, uh, real quick, what I have I'll say, Well, what I'll say is, before you get to your suggestions, is the only guidance I have offered in this way is that, like, the rest of the squads in in the Carnation Crown of Grand Tycon 
Uh, all have kind of either floral or otherwise plant-like names, but that's also, I have been specific, is not a requirement. It is just a tradition that's kind of viewed as being vaguely like a patriotic aesthetic choice, if that makes any sense. Right. But it is not something you are required to stick to by any means. Okay, so real quick, uh, I don't think any of my squad names, because you said you can take notes of like squad names that you th- think of, and so I went and wrote a bunch of puns on the word blue. Um, so <laughs> I, have, I would like, I would like to please read them. First I would like to and- leave this podcast <laughs> now. <laughs> before you start, before you start, how many are there? Some of them are real. Um, how but- many are there? Four, five, six, seven. Oh God, Fern! But I will uh, read them in quick succession. That's, that's fine. That's fine. You can read all seven. I was okay. gonna say if you told me there was like thirty, I'd tell you to, to curtail it. Okay, but seven's it's, fine. It, it's not seven though. I but there, one of them is just one joke, but it's like four names. Give okay. <laughs> fuck, fuck that. Just Give me go. the top five. Okay, uh, Thalo crew. Haha, get it? Like Thalo blue. I get it. Yeah, that's good. And it also has a silent P. Because, yeah. Um, oh, like C R O U P? No, it's uh, Thalo, like uh, the. It, here, oh, that. Me. Oh, no, no, never mind. I know like, what you're the, about. the color. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I'm going to okay. paste it that No, way. I got you. I remember what you're. Yeah, yeah, that, um, that shit. That horrible. So, anyway. yeah. Haha, <laughs> get it? Like Thalo Blue? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> the Aqua Marines? Boo! Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, keep going. <laughs> I'm sorry, now I'm just doing the jokes because... <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. Oh, it's fine, ha- it's really... Have we thought of the Resurrectionists? Shut up. Uh, <laughs> I, am going, I am going to explicitly veto that. Uh, I, 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 I think that's, that's going to confuse me. So <laughs> um, and then, like, uh, oh, I have this uh, the Humboldt Squid. Sorry, I mean squad. Stop. <laughs> Stop. I, 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 can, I can call it the Humboldt Squad. But <laughs> I feel like I will. I will say you can definitely do the Humboldt Squad if you want to do the Humboldt Squad. High Command will probably throw on frown on such displays of egocentrism. Yeah. Is my guess. <laughs> Uh, and then the rest of them are actual real, real things. But those were the those were the oh my jokes. God. Uh, well, then so there's you told the other the jokes joke, instead of the real things. Deep, <laughs> so uh, I also have uh, I forgot my four that are one joke: deep blue, grand blue, grand line, the straw hats. Nope, gotta go. No, uh, You're out. Sorry. <laughs> All okay. right, now I'm done. Okay. So, the, so when I was thinking about like the. We talked over this a bit directly, and I was thinking about, like, things related to flowers and also things that would be used as, like, diplomatic offerings, mm-hmm. because that's mm-hmm. our deal. Um, I like the idea of something that used bouquet somehow, and someone else mentioned corsage, which I liked because it is, like, mm-hmm. prom imagery. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, like, what about, like, corsage bouquet? <laughs> <laughs> No. I don't task, like... Okay, Task Force Corsage Bouquet. What that about... This, react, this reaction is in character. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but listen. Like, Ariel's not approved of this. What uh, about something... We, we could add, like, a blue word to it. So, like, the... the my, my, advice is, my advice of uh, more than symbology is to pick something that you're going to be proud to call yourselves. <laughs> 
I was also, okay with Task Force Corsage Bouquet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if, you, if you all like Task Force Corsage Bouquet, that's cool. Uh, I'm just saying, like, we don't have to get too in the weeds with making a pun that works or making a symbol that works, as long as the squad name itself is, like, something y'all feel good about. I really do like Corsage as being, like, the noun, and I would... Like, I think it would be cool if it was, like, the this corsage, because that's a small bunch of flowers that is put on a wrist. Like, so, that's, so, like, it's, it's kind of, uh, I like that, but I'm not sure. Um, I do have one that Snapper actually liked in my list, which was the Knight's Lazuli. The Knight's Lazuli. Yeah, the Knight's Lazuli or Lazuli. However, I'm sure we'll pronounce it both ways in the show if you end up going with that. Yeah. <laughs> nice um, has anyone claimed Sapphire? It doesn't Sapphire matter. Course, uh, a, no, no one has good. claimed that. B, if I do have a squad with a similar name, I will just straight up change it. I do not. Okay. Like, if you haven't already specifically been like, okay, this is a squad that we have a reputation with, uh, its name is mutable. Okay. Uh, would you like me to go over the list of the canon uh, Tycon squads I have again, just so we can, like, just to see if it stirs any ideas? Mm-hmm. Sure, why not? So here's the names that I have down, and the only one here that is explicitly hard canon, locked what it is, is the Lotus Tree Research Fellowship, because right. you have a relationship with it. Uh, the other ones are Blossomfall, the Metal Magnolias, Oleander, in all caps, uh, Knights of the Evergreen, the Tyconian Garland, most Noble Society of the Pristine Foxglove, which is, uh, a, which is another consulate faction, ironically enough. <laughs> um, Morning Glory, but Morning is spelled as in the sad one. Yeah. Uh, Grapevine, <laughs> and the Hyacinth Girls. Oh, that's a good one. That's so, so good. I am going to like make a pitch specifically for opening with Task Force because I think it, cause like we're starting as like a rank zero squad, right? Right. Yeah. And You're maybe a, it uh, is <laughs> tier zero stronghold is what you start as. And I realize this is like entirely informed by um like the recent election cycle, but in my head I've come to associate task force with like uselessness and it would <laughs> feel appropriate for our starting rank. Um, I like the idea that there's also maybe part of you that went with task force because maybe that's part of what the navies uh naming oh. schema is maybe mm. and you're just like yeah task force and everyone's like why the fuck are you calling it a task force and it's like because you know it's a task force um we're a force we get, we're given tasks <sighs> so just going with that the names i had are all um i also just like the name delphinium i just think it sounds cool mm. it's a flower uh it's a it's a very blue flower uh called a delphinium okay. So, I believe the common name for it is a larkspur, I believe. Oh. Yeah. It just, it sounds neat. It sounds sci-fi-ish. It does sound neat. Uh, yeah. Task Force Delphinium actually isn't terrible. Um, and then the other two I had that I, I like the most are, um, because we're fancy, there's one Iris Regalia. Jeez mm, uh, Louise. <laughs> and the other one is... I uh, like Regalia. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other one is... Uh, Protea Regis. There's a type of blue flower called a King Protea. So Regis, oh. King, yeah. Protea Regis. Kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. I like that. Also gives the implication of like a royalty adjacent crew. So. Yeah. I say there's nothing wrong with giving yourselves a highfalutin names relative to your <laughs> station either. <laughs> yeah. um, but I don't hate the name Task Force Delphinium. 
I have an idea, but it's okay if it's like a little too uh, cheesy. What about the forget-me-nots? Oh. Uh, I will say, if you wanted to go with the alternatives, uh, the alter- I think the literal opposite of that, uh, another flower that I, that I personally think is probably the most uh, in line with kind of the themes of the squad as I've intuited so far based on what y'all have told me is the anemone or the wind flower. Oh yeah. Uh, which is a flower that especially in like the Victorian like you know flower language or whatever is used to signify feelings of abandonment or betrayal. <laughs> oh shit. There you go. And also they're just very pretty. Uh, they have a dark center and these like very big vibrantly colored petals that kind of flay out and they're not like especially fancy looking but they're very pretty. And, yeah. I kind of still really like forget me not. Just the forget me not sounds like such a cool like rockabilly name. Um. <laughs> it is very in the naming tradition of the resurrectionists, ironically enough. Yeah, right. <laughs> Just like what sounds cool? Fuck yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> and they're blue flowers with little yellow centers. No. Yeah. Um. Yeah, forget me nots is is good. Are we all feeling it? I'm feeling it. If we're not all feeling it, I'm good to keep working on it. I like it. I like the forget me not squad. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, the forget me not right. well, squad. The forget uh, me like... not task force might be the like the full thing, but we just call ourselves the forget me nots. Uh, pending <laughs> any staircase wit that we have off air, uh, I'm just going to write down the forget me nots for now. Uh, I do enjoy that quite a bit. Um, is that it? Is that for it? squad generation? It might it be. Might be it. Yeah, that's it for squat generation. We did it. So we're running very long in the tooth, um, and we're probably not going to finish this conversation on air or even really maybe have too much of one. But I wanted to go over uh, three different things that are kind of my final questions, I suppose, that are just going to be how we kind of uh, set the starting, like, the starting ground for uh, the campaign as a whole. Uh, the first thing, and this is based on kind of, and this is something that y'all have already kind of given me before, but I'm just going to restate for official purposes, is setting thematic expectations. Um, part of this is like going over the kinds of scenes you'd like your characters to be involved in, which is something a lot of us have talked about individually, but then also like, you know, just the kind of themes generally we'd like to explore within the story. Uh, the second thing that I'd like us to think about is the campaign scope. So, like I mentioned, uh, even though this is on a global scale and there's like five distinct big factions and some independent parties who are all fighting for their own uh, cross purposes, uh, these kinds of mech stories aren't necessarily always fought on this grand global scale. Mm. Um, in the case of certain series of Gundam, since Fern is in the middle of watching a bunch of those, there's some series of Gundam that are based entirely on conflicts over a single city. Right. Um mm-hmm. So I'd like y'all to think about uh, the kind of size of theater that you'd like to operate in, like whether you want to be globe hopping, like going all over, or if you would like to be able to have a story that is kind of like tactically focused in a smaller area where like the specific positions of this thing or that thing might be more important. Um, The other thing is how many factions y'all actually care about seeing in action. Um, so even though there are five major factions, uh, like as by default, we, there is absolutely no obligation for the campaign writ large to actually give all five of these factions the time of day. Um, like based on what you told me, like if your, 
if you were to decide collectively, like, we want our campaign to have our own faction, Grand Tycon, Adverse, and Solarosa, and we don't care about Dragon Teeth or UA, that's completely cool. I can, I can work with that. Uh, if you want to see all five of them, that's fine. I think you need at least two, obviously, because you need the war, if nothing else. Yeah. Um, so that's something to think about if anyone has any striking opinions on that. And the other thing is the squad goal, or if you want to call it the collective drive or whatever else. But basically this is what is, you all have your individual drives and the things that you want personally. What is the thing that the four of you can rally around that is the goal for the forget-me-nots as a whole? Um, and I don't, I'll be real, I don't think, I don't know that we necessarily need to go into the depths, the Myers of having the conversation on air, unless anyone has thoughts they want to get out, like, off their chest, like, right now, that they're thinking of. Um, so, I guess I should ask, does anyone have any specific thoughts right now about thematic expectations, uh, the campaign scope, or the squad goal? My thought about scope, which kind of ties into factions, I feel like our shtick um, means that, like, it. I feel like we're going to be at our strongest if we are at the most different fancy parties. Mm-hmm. Is my is my stance. So okay. you're thinking wider scale is your preference. That's that's my personal. Thing. I would like at least like possibly like a climatic battle to be fought orbitally. It would be yeah. really cool. I, would, like, I mean, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to make those decisions right now, but I will keep yeah. your desire for orbital combat in yeah. mind for sure. Like, it doesn't have to be the focus. In fact, I'm okay, totally okay with it if it's, like, saved for that, but space fight, cool. Space fight, um. I, say, I, I would say that if y'all want, you could have an entirely orbital campaign. However, you did set your FOB on the ground, right. so that might <laughs> <be> <laughs> Right. Well, uh, thinking of Giuseppe specifically, this is might be a little... Uh, too in-depth, but Giuseppe is definitely a person that spent most of his life uh, off-world. So, oh. so, so I, I have lots of things. I, I'm planning to have him be like, you know, that video of the astronaut that just tries to put his pen in the air and it just <laughs> falls. <laughs> He's going to be very, like, more adept at low-grav stuff. Um, but yeah. My... Um, my thing, my thinking on like the scope. I don't, I don't, especially squad goal is a thing I'd probably have to think about like way harder. Um, yeah, I only bring these up now because like I wanted us to go, kind of go over this in this setting where we're all just able to freely talk to each other sure. without it being like the Discord thing. Okay. But these are things that I don't expect we're going to have hard answers for right now on this recording. Sure. Um, but scope wise, my thing is that um, I do like the idea of going other like not being solely set in one city uh although i don't mind the idea of it being kind of maybe that being like the hub but my thinking is that like blades in the dark was very specifically set in a single city except for the very last um heist and i think it would be interesting to do something kind of opposite that yeah, and I will say, like, this isn't just, like, a hard switch, like, sure. do you want global conflict or do you want local yeah, conflict? This is also a thing where it's, like, you could be, like, we want, like, approximately half a continent kind of deal, yeah. and we could make that work. 
mm-hmm. it can be like anywhere in that kind of spectrum. So like that's something we we can talk about more off air. Yeah. But you know, yeah. But that's just like um, my thinking on it for sure. Yeah. For themes, I think this would ha- knowing everybody here. I think this would probably happen whether or not we stated it. But I'm a big sucker for found family as a theme and a motif. <laughs> Sure. I feel I feel like I feel like with I will say I feel like with the way that uh, the squad bonds work and like the character bonds work now, that's almost certainly going to come up. Yeah, <laughs> you will you will find ways to inure yourselves to one another, whether you like it or not. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, anyone else have any uh last parting shots they want to get out? Uh, no. Or is bad robots are cool? Robot cool. <laughs> Yeah, robots are cool. Definitely, that's I don't what, think the, that's what he was shooting. <laughs> yeah, yeah th- there is no other part or broader uh, context of that message. It's just robots are cool. Um, <laughs> we don't we don't have uh, anti imperialist sentiments. I don't even know what that word means. No. Uh, so empire like uh, age that... empires. That game kicks ass. Yeah. <laughs> um, with that all set up, that is our episode zero Yay. for Beam Saber. Uh, depending Woo. where you find us, uh, I imagine you will, the next episode will probably actually be uh, the episode one where we get into the first mission. Uh, but it is possible, depending on when we actually record it, that we might get the openings on Patreon at some point in the nearish future. Uh, we'll see. Uh, the plans are kind of still up in the air a little bit. But uh, with all that said and done, thank you all for joining us on Big Gay Nerds. Uh, tune in next week. Same Big Gay time on the same Big Gay channel. Big Gay Nerds is made possible by our Patreon supporters. We would like to give special thanks to Alexander Messick, Calvin Cox, Evelyn Nadia DuPont, Frank L., Giraffe Scarves, Jack Toops, Jarnope, John the Book Hoarder, Lori Dean, M.C. Ferdandi, Ollie, Patrick Moore, Thor Holmquist, and Trash Hime. If you would like to join their ranks and gain access to special content, simply visit us at patreon.com slash biggaynerds and donate at the Lauded Gay Nerds tier. If you'd like to support us for free, spread the word on social media. We're at Big Gay Nerds Cast on Twitter and just Big Gay Nerds on Tumblr and Facebook.